on this episode of the Star Wars Time Show. Matt and Nick are primed to talk all things Andor Episode 4, so get ready for their review and deep dive breakdown of Cassian's latest adventures. If you have questions, they hopefully have your Andor answers, or at least some plenty of hot air to kill some time for you as you waste your day away. Once they're done analyzing Lord Gilroy's excellent series, they'll move on to some set picks from the Acolyte, which looks to be channeling the more practical feel that Andor has shown. Of course, the show will end with the question of the week responses and the latest round of Top 5 Star Wars Fan Artist Features. Punch it, Chewie! We figured it out. We paid the hamsters, put a few more quarters in the machine, and they decided to keep running. But we are here. Holy hell, what a system crash right before the show. Let's do it. John Bernardini, you know it. We've punched it. We are here. Chewie was late. He was fucking around with some porgs. You never know what he's trying to do with them. Is he eating them? Is he friends with them? Is he taking care of them? We don't know, but we are here finally. Holy hell. Um, I've been telling Nick is like, dude, my, my IMAX five years old, that's old for a machine that gets used as much as mine does. And I think it's starting to showcase signs or symptoms that it wants to stop being alive. And it's just like, listen, I'm done. I don't want to do this shit anymore for you. Fuck the Star Wars time show. I'm just going to crash before you guys have to go live. So that's why we're late today if you're on the live stream. But luckily, a few of our friends stuck around. One Six is in there. Black Series Clips, Sir Dork, Darth LVJ, Bat, and John Bernardini. Welcome, my friends. If you're listening, you're going, hey, I want to get in on the live stream too. Well, guess what? It's free. There's no gates here. You just have to show up uh, 2.30p Eastern on Tuesdays, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. So, you know, uh, Nick and I were talking a little rings of power before we went live. So we are going to discuss the most recent episode and then we will dive deeply into Andor S1E4. I forget the name of the episode, but it was another. It was Aldani. Oh, Aldani. That's right. I forgot. Nick Nick usually watches right before we go, so he's a little more fresh. Um, With these week, you know, essentially a week before we break down an episode, I'm going to need to start rewatching them too because (laughs) it's it's been almost seven full days since I've seen uh, Aldani. But it was another another good one. Tony's still paying off on everything he told us. Uh, I think we've. We've seen, and I'm kind of digging the whole three episode cadence that he told us about. You know, that he they they repositioned it or they reworked it for season two, and where three episodes are going to cover a year's time. But you can also yes. see in season one, Nick, how you know they they give a writing. It seems like a writer and a director three episodes, and then those three episodes will tell a story. And it yeah. seems that we just saw the first episode of the Aldhani story. So. Um, I'm assuming this week we'll get more of that mission, and then next week we'll probably get the culmination 
of Cassian's first big boy rebel cell, if you will, not alliance yet. I know he says alliance. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, (laughs) but we're we're, kind of getting a look and and that's what these uh, episode five and six will be. So I'm kind of digging that. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about Andor here in a bit. This is a Star Wars time show after all, so of course we have to talk Rings of Power. Yes, um, yes. Of course. So Nick, I know Nick's excited. <laughs> I was excited. I think, so spoilers for the most recent episode of Rings of Power, I believe that's S1E6. We got two to go. Uh, but, you know, it released last Friday. I, was, I, I took a trip out to the East Coast that got shit on by Ian, so... Uh, while I didn't die or lose any property value, and you know, we thoughts and prayers to those of you that got fucked up, but um, it just it kind of killed the it killed everything. I mean, the weather was terrible. I was telling Nick, I, it, it felt like I time traveled to where we left pretty much this time last week. Took a few personal days to go out to the coast. And I'm already home, and it doesn't feel like I left. Does that make sense to anyone else? You've gone somewhere, you've taken a long weekend, a five-day weekend even, and either weather or something else jacked it up. And you get back, and you start to reflect on your time, and you're like, hey, time really does go too fast, especially in your 40s and beyond. And B, did I even do anything? Did we really <laughs> Did we really even go on a trip? Because yeah. it, it, it feels like, I drove somewhere, sat somewhere, and then came back, and I'm right where I was last week. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still yeah. in this fucking seat, stock, talking Star Wars. Nothing really crazy happened over the weekend besides miserable weather, but oh well. I guess I shouldn't bitch too much. It, it, not, not too many people get to do little jaunts out to the beach a few times a year, so life is good, but it could have been better, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, man. Nothing, nothing wrong with, you know, having a vacation. Not every vacation's perfect, you know? Every, you it, know, it, you know Nick, you're, are... you're right. It, I guess it's just uh, I've been spoiled. Uh, <laughs> it, it's been a long time. Like, I can't remember. It might have been when I was in, in my single digits as a kid going on a vacation with my parents to where essentially the entire time got rained out at a place where rain kind of kills everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, oh, well. Uh, when I got home yesterday, I, I saw that uh, was it Dorkside Toys shipped my the the new Black Series Darth Vader helmet, and my goodness, Nick, it is a thing of beauty. I threw up some shots on our Insta via Haywood Pop because it's not like Haywood Pop gets used very much these days. Uh, but this thing, it, it, they've they've I know people have got problems with Hasbro these days and the Black Series line and TVC, but the the, the helmets. And I know you're a fan of the lightsabers, Nick, but yep, th- yep. these helmets are fucking great. I mean, they are well worth the 120 or $130, but the Vader thing, you got to, you got to check out, look at, at Star Wars Timeshare at Haywood Pop and just look through some of the images at first to see the helmet in all of its glory, but also to see why you should probably be six foot or taller if you plan on wearing one. Because <laughs> somewhat of my stature, it immediately makes you look like Dark Helmet. I mean, call me call me Rick Moranis. I mean, outside of actually having a you know a face mask the entire time, because you know Dark Helmet, he, he mostly kept his up. But you you lit. I literally look like um for, I could be in Spaceballs. I could be a Dark Helmet stunt double or something. So nice. But uh, it really is a a 
massive helmet and and i know some people are like oh the, the the actual helmet helmet looks jacked i think that's a, a photography thing the camera lens is doing something silly because i can tell you when you got this black series darth vader helmet sitting in front of you you feel like someone delivered the head of anakin skywalker to your plate okay there you go nice. all right okay so nick Rings of Power. This is, you know, what gets you up these days. Not, you know, you it still, is. you still like Andor. You're, you're a fan, but it's, it's this Lord of the Rings or Rings of Power Tolkien uh, study that you are into. So, episode six aired. Um, before you had even seen it, I knew that you, it was going to get you excited, and I, I pretty much just said, "Hey, man, let, let me know what you think gets lit at the end." Yes. And um, we we kind of agreed. So Rings of Power episode six. What? Why do why do you feel like this was the best episode to date, as you told me earlier? So for for those people out there who were, you know, getting into Rings of Power, they're like, oh, it's slow. It's slow. Well, we can say this for sure now that episode if you thought that the series leading up so far has been slow. Episode six is undoubtedly where the action starts to move like how, it, it, it was a it's a helm's deep feel that's kind of how exactly. i i felt dude i i literally said that to taylor like as soon as the episode kicked off you have you know obviously spoilers ahead for uh rings of power if you've not seen it you have adar and the orcs getting ready to start their siege on the watchtower where all of the you know where um all of the people uh, from the town are now kind of congregated. And I told her, I was like, this feels like Helm's Deep. When you see those torches kind of coming over the horizon, you see all of the people up on the, the ramparts, like doing the best they can with what little people they have to to stop this, you know, invasion of orcs onto their land. I was like, this feels like Helm's Deep from, from uh, Two Towers. So that was like the perfect way to put it. But then after that, you have so much other, like so many huge lore moments that come from this. And look, I, you know, I know that within the second age, we have limited Tolkien, like writing to work with, especially in certain areas with certain characters and stuff like that. And I know that like, you can't make a, a, a geek property anymore with, with, without people just hating it. But like, I am one of the people who like appreciate what Tolkien wrote, but it can, I can also appreciate what this show is doing and presenting it in a different fashion and building around what Tolkien wrote. So like the battle that we had in Udun, which was the name of the city where all of this took place was fantastic. The moment when the fucking, uh, the Numenorians show up and just start to lay waste to the orcs and everything. It was a, like uh, the riders of the Rohirrim coming over exactly. the crest. Exactly. I mean, I just thought that this was such that this episode had such huge moments. You you finally get to see Isildur becoming like this heroic figure that we know he eventually becomes at the end of the second age. A heroic loser. Um, He's a heroic, heroic loser, loser yeah. eventually. Yes. Um, <laughs> but you know, he's building up to the guy yeah, who cuts right. off the ring Correct. of power from Sauron's hand, and then ultimately will keep it and then essentially kill himself and his entire line of people. Um, <laughs> um, I love that. Um, I'm a huge fan of how Galadriel is being, um, is being portrayed in this show. I think that one Morfid Clark, the, the, uh, the actress who plays Galadriel is doing a great job. And two, 
We know from Tolkien's works, his own written works, that in her past, Galadriel was more of like a warrior type of a person. And then yep. she transitions into this kind of ethereal type of being that we meet. Right. In she, becomes her, she becomes one of the ring bearers. I mean, she's yeah, one of she the elven gets, ring bearers and runs exactly. what, Lothalorian at some point in time. Yes. Yes, indeed. So like, I think that a lot of people and a lot of the complaints that I've been seeing specifically about characters in Rings of Power have been around Galadriel because they're like, well, she's she's too, you know, brash and she's she's like she's not the Galadriel that we see in Lord of the Rings. That's by but like design. she's not supposed yeah, she's not supposed to be. I also think that people forget that like there's roughly Four thousand years, five thousand years. It separates where we are now in Rings of Power to like where we are when we see Galadriel yeah. in the Third Age. So like, even in Elven times, five thousand years is a pretty long time. So yeah, I mean, um, even Nick, even when we meet her in this series, she's probably six thousand years old. I mean, she yeah, I mean, she's she was born. She, she's one of the first children of Elavitar. That, that yeah, they, you so know, like, he pulled out of the fucking ground or no, they woke up under, they wake up under the sun and men woke up under the moon. I can't no, remember. So men, men woke up uh, over the first sunrise of the first age. Yeah. Got I yeah. thought that Galadriel was actually like, she was born though. Like, um, I thought Galadriel had like a father and wasn't okay. one of the original elves. Well, they, um, but just in this series, they show her as a little kid and during the first age. So that's what I'm saying. Like she is, she's thousands yeah. and thousands of years old, even, but to Nick's point, she's still young for her elven life yeah, at this for point. For her elven life. So she was, she is the daughter of Finarfin and Arwen. So she, um... So well, how the hell did she become Galadriel? Elves. Because elves almost always got like a, pretty much the same names. I'm su I'm surprised she wasn't Dude, like Aowinis or Aowinite. Yeah, like <laughs> so, something <laughs> something that is just like her father. But she was born in the first age. She was born in in yeah. Valinor, but she was born in the first age, I believe. Okay. So she was not born during like in Tolkien language would be like the time of the tree the creation. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. She was, she was not one of the original elves created. So she's still young. And I think that people miss there is that a line. People... I know what you're saying. There is a line and I don't know if it's in Lord of the Rings or Silmarillion where Tolkien more or less summarizes that during the second age, Galadriel wasn't at a stage where she was, she would be a leader of elves. She was still yes. kind of, figuring her shit out <laughs> as we're learning that shit is you know knocking heads and and hunting down orcs and the dark yeah. lord himself so yeah i mean dude so the big thing really i mean yeah. it's the first action heavy episode that was huge i mean the the, the battle takes up the entire runtime uh, mm -hmm. but then you, you know we were talking about this earlier you, you get some insights finally into adar the who we we have learned and confirmed that he is from the first elves that Morgoth tried to turn into orcs. He just didn't have the full transformation. We've learned that he does not like Sauron because of the way Sauron was using orcs for experiments. He even says he killed Sauron, so that's a little suspect. Uh, we saw that Halbrand, the, the king of the southern men, has what seems to be otherworldly strength. Uh, him and Adar seem to, or, or he seems to know Adar, but Adar doesn't seem to know him. So 
I don't know. Maybe we're back to how Brand could be housing the spirit of Sauron at this point in time. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, but, no, it's the the Sauron angle in the show is very it's it's yeah, interesting to track everybody who could be Sauron. I know, I know. It's like, I mean, the, the, the fucking homeless guy from the meteor, the pretty guy with the shaved head. And now it's it's not Halbrand, but it could be, but maybe not. Who knows? And then really the, yeah. the, the biggest thing, and I think the coolest lore moment for fans is at the end, you finally learn what, what the, this, the, that shard of the sword was meant for. It, it was never really a sword. It was a key. And you, you see once that Waldrig guy uses the key in the tower that it just sets off this chain of events that pays off on the tunnels the orcs were digging at the start of the season. And we learn like the, the, the whole deal, the whole idea behind this battle was to essentially turn on Mount Doom and, and yes. start terraforming Nick in a way, uh, Baradur. Mount Doom. Yeah. Essentially, they they created Mordor in this episode. That's what happened at the end. Yes. That's that's why Mordor, the sky is blotted out and there is no sun. We saw how this happened now. Uh, Nick brought up the, the name Undun. This is right, right around where he's going to build the Black Gate because he eventually yes. builds the Black Gate after the elves and the Numenorians start kicking his ass again. He's like, OK, chill out. I'm not ready. I got to put up my big gate so I can keep building up my forces. So... That that was the big, ooh, I like this type of stuff. You know me, I'm Matt the Lore Chaser, and anytime you can get something like that brought to life, uh, especially with the visuals used, you know, Nick was talking off lines like that, that's where you can see Amazon or Bezos's money right there. Yep. Uh, and the effects and just the, the, that whole, the whole chain reaction of that sword twist and then ultimately Mount Doom exploding and there's the end as Gladriel blowed up what happened, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, uh, two more to go. And it definitely seems like we're, you know, it, they, they had that slow buildup, but, you know, five and then six. And it seems like seven and eight, Nick, are going to kind of keep the trend of funneling towards some resolutions for season one while probably also setting up bigger problems for season two. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and that's one thing that I've really enjoyed about this show is that like sometimes shows are slow and there's no real reason for them to be slow. But it seems like all of the buildup that's happened in the in the early episodes of the season are starting to pay off. You're starting to see now like why we spent so much time with Galadriel in Numenor building that relationship, because one, not only do you have the Numenorians showing up on the battlefield to help the people of Udun, but we also know that later in the series, at some point, the Numenorians are going to show up to help the elves when um, the war of elves and Sauron is happening. Um, so we know that that relationship is coming. We also know that the the all of the stuff that's happening with Mithril is going to lead up to the forge that Celebrimbor is building, and that's where the rings of power are going to be forged. Now, like you said, Matt, we have the the eruption of Mount Doom, where we know that Sauron forges the One Ring. Um, and now we know why the lands of Mordor are scarred. And we can we see that happening in real time in this episode. So I think that, like, for, for everything that can be said about, like, how this is different than it would be, it would have been if Tolkien had written it, which obviously nobody can write like J.R.R. Tolkien. We just have to live with that. I think that the show writers have done a really good job of taking all of the, the elements and putting them together 
and actually having a like a story that plays out over season one that really builds anticipation for the big events that will come in later seasons. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I, I do think they're going to work towards a pretty kick-ass cliffhanger. I just have a feeling like the, the last reveal is either going to be Sauron's shadow or, or something big like that, and then they're going to make us wait until season yeah. two, which I, I believe they're, they're starting to film now, so hopefully that means that we will get it this time next year man they, have you know that's the one thing with streamers i know i know covid fucked up a lot of schedules but it, it doesn't it seem like with streamer shows unlike old network tv shows that we just can't count on them being annual during the same month the same cadence you remember the good old days nick and network yeah. tv like oh it's you know it's it's september all the network shows are back for their new seasons and they're gonna pay off on the cliffhanger with with streamers it's like uh, maybe you know look look at star wars and disney plus hey maybe yeah. the acolyte will be out in 2024 maybe andor season two will be out in 2024 maybe the mandalorian will release in february 2023 what day we don't know but we got months so uh, I, I hope this one gets on track, you know? I mean, Foundation, it's not back. I'm looking for season two of Foundation. It should be here by now. This is yeah, when Foundation no, I mean, season one aired last year. Where is it? It's it's crazy because, I mean, you can see it, like you said, with all the street, like even like Stranger Things just ended and they were like, yeah, you're probably not going to get season five until like 2024. So <laughs> just like, don't like don't hold your breath. And I think it, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that like when you're working for a network television show, you don't have like, yeah, you have your show runner, but like all of the writer, like you have different writers on almost every episode. You have different directors on almost every episode. Like now, like you hire, like these streamers hire these creators and like they are the ones who decide their, their timeline. So like when the Duffer brothers finished season four, they're like, Hey guys, like, we're going to work on season five to make it what we want it to be. We're not just going to release another season in a year because you said we have to like it. It's a difference in like the way that I know. I know. The, I mean, know, it maybe it leads, maybe it leads to better quality television. Who knows? I'm just an impatient asshole. <laughs> it's like, come on. I want to continue my, my fake stuff as soon as possible. Let's go. Yeah. We no, haven't I seen mean, Din right. Dejarin in his own fucking title since 2019. You know, uh, sure know. he showed up it's in Book of be. Boba Fett. That doesn't count. That was called the book it, of Boba Fett, not the Mandalorian. Yeah. So not the Mandalorian. But oh. hey, you know. First world I, problems, I, man. First world problems. First you know world what I mean? problems. But yes. If if you guys, if 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 people out there who have been listening to us have been like the wait and sees on on Rings of Power, I would tell you give it a watch now because once you hit episode six, you're gonna be like, okay, this is why this show exists like we're getting into the meat i I think in the end i mean the full season will pay pay out to fans of tolkien i'm talking fans of tolkien if you're just casual fan and and you need shit spoon fed to you and dumbed down and type of dialogue then don't worry about it okay this this is a high fantasy show like you have to be a really really nerdy dorky tolkien lover to get the most out of it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I don't even see casual fantasy fans digging rings, uh, digging. Ha- I, I like house. I mean, I'm sticking with it. Shit's getting all sorts of fucked up now with the, with the dance of the dragons taking place. 
but I think in the end, Rings is Rings is probably more favorable to me because of the lore connections to Tolkien and how deep I dove into his lore back when I was in in college. Uh, exactly. But I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. It, it's hard for me not to go to the internet after every House of Dragons episode and be like, "Why is this fucking family not around in Game of Thrones?" I probably know why, <laughs> but I, I want to know. Or who's gonna marry this one? How much incest do they really have between the Targaryens? So, um, but hey, it, there, there's some good TV right now. Speaking of which, Star Wars TV. You know what I mean? I mean, we are we are here for a reason. We get paid to talk Star Wars, not Rings of Power. So let's go ahead and move into our iconic, not to be missed, Star Wars TV show breakdown segment, all right? So we're going to do a little review. We're going to talk about some top moments, Nick, and then we're going to do some Easter eggs. We're, we're changing things up a little bit, just like I did for the, uh, the breakdown. So last week, I, I opted for two videos, long form, cut them down a little bit so you could watch them on socials. Numbers were, were still mostly pathetic. Uh, response from our fans pretty sad but hey I'm, I'm here to do it I'll be up up and at them tomorrow morning because I kind of like the pain I think um, <laughs> but if we're just getting into a review of, of Andor episode 4 I, I, I kind of like I said I changed things up I actually provided my review early while doing the top moments but just like episodes 1 through 3 I, I continue to find Andor to be uh, mesmerizing from a standpoint of I just I can't believe this type of dialogue and, and and characters interacting with each other exists in Star Wars. It just seems so different, yet so refreshing. And it is like Tony said, it is. You can see the adult angle in Andor and how he specifically made it for older people. Uh, yeah. I, I, I continue to be fascinated with the character of Luthen. I think Stellan Skarsgård should get some form of award. I'm guessing Emmys is, is what Disney Plus shows would fall under. The yes. guy is the guy is brilliant. He's clearly someone we need to know about. You know, for fans of Star Wars for decades, we're, we're now learning through Andor that that Luthen Rael is the grandfather of the fucking rebel alliance like he is the guy he's yeah. he's he's the guy more so than mon mothma bail organa cassian andor jen urso luke skywalker leia skywalker organa i mean luthan is the dude yes yeah that's what i was gonna say like it, this episode if it showed anything it showed that mon mothma at this point is like is in such peril not only from like the, the insiders within the imperial superstructure that are like that have eyes on her basically everywhere she goes, even in her own home with yeah. her husband, like her husband just <laughs> inviting parent? all of what these. What a douche. Yeah. yeah like douchey haircut equals imperials. douchey husband. Just insane. So like, and not only is she, does she have pressure from that, but she has pressure from Luthen, who, yeah. like you said, <laughs> the father of this rebellion is also like, hey, you need to give me if, if yeah. you want this to happen, you need to provide the resources to me to make this happen. Like, so she's just caught in between the ultimate rock and a hard place, because on one side, you have the Imperials who are like actively, actively have eyes on her and are like tracking her every move down to the driver that takes her everywhere. Yeah, they're, they're and all then worried you have about Luthen that. And on one side, who's like. Dude, 
uh, yeah, I understand that you're in a shitty situation, but guess what? So is the entire galaxy. So give me what I need. Yeah. Like, what no, a shitty was, spot he, for my he really is great. And, and I can't wait to see kind of how his journey ends. Obviously, it's going to be tragic. Uh, does he make it in the season two or not? Who knows? But I, I, I mean, Luthen to me is the guy. He sparks the best conversations. I mean, his his little chat between Andor to start was fantastic. Uh, you, you you got a lot of he's he's perfect at, at getting insights out of people. We learned a lot more about Cassian from those conversations. His conversation with Vel also shows that this guy is in fucking charge. Like he is the guy that is setting up yeah. all these cells across the galaxy to do these jobs. And, and like I said, I mean, that I, I did not expect that. I mean, you always say, hey, you're you're, you're we were told that Mon Mothma, Mon Mothma. And then you obviously saw Guerrero gets introduced via the animated universe in Rogue One. Like, OK, there's that guy. It, Rebels itself, you learn, OK, there was there was the ghost crew. They're doing their thing. But you never knew that there was this one voice or as, you know, we'll get into later because I want to hear your your thoughts on this, the circle. Like, what the fuck's the circle and who is Mon Mothma trying to add to it that Luthen's like, screw you. We don't need, essentially what it says is we don't need another opportunity to get caught. So, I mean, she couldn't be talking about Bail Organa added to the circle. You'd think he's already in the fucking circle considering he yeah. was he was doing it back in the in the uh, Clone Wars days with Padme and Mon herself. So, like I said, you just... Anywhere Luthen goes, Nick, you get interesting lore brought up. You get insights into what's happening. You get insights into the rebellion, into the empire, into the characters, the characters fucking past. He is a he is a lightning rod lore giver. And that's why yeah. I, I love Luthen in this episode. I mean, the dude should have won the Emmy, and we'll talk about this, and I think in one of my top moments coming up, when he has to put on his disguise. Yeah, and you see, and you see, you see Stellan like just contorting his face into those fake smiles, and that carries over into his shop. And and uh, Genevieve had to do it with her character. I I love it. The acting is amazing. Like give, give yeah. all these people awards. That's why this show is great. So Andor episode four continued the excellence of one through three. Uh, and it, it, it probably was even better than the three put together because of all the, the, the eggs and references. And, you know, Nick, just last week I, I was sitting there with my feet kicked up all happy, <laughs> like, Hey, fuck it. Tony Gilroy, no Easter egg show. I love it. Makes my life easy. I get up on Wednesday and it took me longer to do two videos for one episode breakdown than than six videos for a three episode breakdown because of <laughs> all the Easter eggs and lore Tony or his team secretly jammed into this episode. So it was a yeah. it was a banger to me. I mean, obviously, Coruscant getting to see uh, the, the, the ISB at work. One of their staff meetings was beautiful. The scene where literally we just watched Cyril with his head hung low walk home to get smacked by his mother and then welcome back as a failure. I mean, that that's beautiful shit in star Wars. So I, I love this episode. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I, I think with this one too, the, the interesting part is going to be Cyril and tracking his, his movements. Cause if what, if you like, if you're familiar with Tony Gilroy's work, he always loves a rogue agent. Like, you know, that's kind of what the born franchise is built off of is like, is a rogue agent. And I think that's 
what Cyril's going to become because now we've seen him. He's lost his job as a corporate security officer because now the empire is taking yeah, over. They just took over. I love it. They're like, fuck you, yeah. Corpos. You lose. They're like, okay, you're, you're out. All of you are fired. The Imperial is taking over the Morlana section. So you, you guys can just figure the, what you're going to do out. Bye-bye. Um, but we see that he is still dedicated to this cause, whatever this cause is, you know, whether it be the fact that, you know, one of these corporate security officers were murdered or whatever else that is driving him, he's still dedicated to it. So you now you have the Tony Gilroy setup where you have one side, which is the burgeoning rebellion with Cassian Andor and Luthen and, and Mon Mothma. And then you have the other side, which is the Imperials. And now you have the rogue agent, the Tony special with Cyril. So and, and here's, what is... Go ahead. Go ahead. Now I was gonna say, like, what is he going to do? Okay, I, I is, got an answer for you. And here, here's okay. how Cyril gets back in the mix and tries to get his vengeance on Cassian, because clearly that that's who he's gonna be yes. angry about. Lieutenant Miro is gonna drag him back into this, because I think they set up perfectly, like where she yeah. is at in the ISB and and how she is attached to that Starpath unit, which I told everyone on this show last week would cause some problems for Ferrix. And, you know, we didn't get it right away, but clearly Miro is not going to let this go. So I think, Nick, she is going to find Cyril on Coruscant and kind of start with him, interviewing him about what he saw, what he knows about Andor, did he see the unit, you know, so on and so forth. So I think Cyril is going to be injected back into the foray here, into the mix via Miro's mission to figure out once and for all who stole that damn Starpath unit from Steergard, a place in one of her sectors. Uh, so so that, yeah. that's how I think he gets reinvolved in the hunt for Andor, who obviously the, the ISB proper could give two shits about. You know, they, it's pretty clear that they've, they've moved on. Blevin, who's in charge of Ferrix, is like, hey, whatever, I don't give a shit. Yes, I got um, <laughs> but but Miro, the the girl who you know, uh, whatever Patagaz essentially is like. Listen, I, I think he was saying, listen, you're a female here, so you, you're not going to be treated treated the same, or something she did in her past has put a kind of a target on her back. Uh, but she she's clearly not giving up this this Starpath unit, and that ultimately is going to lead her probably to being one of the bigger imperial antagonists for Cassian himself. You know, it, it, I don't know. I mean, don't don't you feel like the Empire, they pretty much have moved on from the Ferric shit? Like, hey, we took the Corpos out. We're taking control. All should be well now. They, they don't really seem yeah. to give two fucks about the Starpath unit and the, a guy potentially escaping. Yeah, I, I think that the larger superstructure, Patagaz and Blevin have definitely moved on from it. And I think that like Miro's angle is just like every other ISB agent's angle, especially an ISB agent at her level is like, I need some, and I, I think that Blevin kind of hit on it. He's like, she's just trying to pad her resume. Like she's just trying to get some like other accolades under her belt so she can help herself move up the superstructure. I think that that in part is true. Um, but she also has an open case. And if you're in a security yeah. outfit, you would think that you would want you to want solve close. something <laughs> like that. Because, I mean, listen, dude, and I was going to talk about during our, our top moments, but during that ISB scene, if you listen, 
the two female officers reporting are both pretty much saying to the room, hey, guys, there's like coordinated rebel activity happening around the galaxy. We probably should put a few resources to this because I, I, it's like Grandy was talking first and she's talking about the potential of of rebel activity. And then Miro's whole thing <laughs> is like, no, listen, I I'm sensing a pattern of of rebel activity on a level bordering on like an uprising. And all the guys, they're all like, hey, fuck you, idiots. Yeah, like, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> you only have two systems. He's got six. Shut the fuck they, up. Um, what they also did, and I, I find this interesting, they also mentioned, like, re, like that, thi- like that tracking rebel cells is not what they do. They're like, we don't do that. We have another division yeah, well, of the Yeah, we'll ISB send out the Navy and in the, in the enforcement yeah. operation or wing of the Empire we are doctors, essentially. He's like, yes. we, we, we look for viruses and germs and we try to eradicate them, which if you think about it, that's what a rebellion is. So I don't know what the fuck Patagaz is talking about, but he clearly yeah. is not going to listen to his junior lieutenants on this matter. What's uh, but- funny is like that, like that Navy mention is almost a direct, like he's talking saying, about like, the, the stormtrooper. Yeah, he's talking about the, the the ships and shit. We know, like Vader, yeah. Star Destroyer, the stormtroopers. That is the Navy. That is the Imperial yeah. Navy. So, yeah. So, so, like, he's just like, I don't give a fuck. He's like, we got this blue guy out there. He's supposed to be on the Rebel Cell shit. So, if that's that what you're been, trying to bring to me, whatever. That I would have been care. great if he if he did yeah. throw out just the Thrawn name, or you know, the, yeah. even if he said, "Hey, the the Grand Admiral, yeah, Grand take Admiral care of this shit. handling." The, but that's the, the other cells. thing, like, uh, since we're on it, did you hear, but, w- but what he says to Miro, like, bringing in more officers like you, is that because she is from the, she was from the enforcement division, or is that them in their DEI initiative, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get more diverse, or do you think there's deeper meaning to Miro's past and her being with the ISB now? I think that there probably is deeper meaning to it. And I think that that also colors how she's approaching. Well, one seems like she's new, but let's just put that up there first because you can just yeah, well, tell she, with two her, years. I think she says yeah. she's only been doing it for two years when her and Blevin yeah. are, are bitching at each other. Yeah. So she has probably come from somewhere where there is more focus on follow-up and closing out things like she's dealing with now, which could be Navy. She could have been a part of the Imperial Navy and then was like, took well, you, this position you think in the ISB. In, you think enforcement, and I, I believe the ISB people are saying this, they're like, hey, in, in enforcement, you can kind of go off your gut and, and intuition and instincts. Yeah. But here at ISB, we need concrete, bulletproof evidence to act. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, but, but clearly Miro is on to something. I mean, she knows that there's, there's rebel activity throughout the galaxy, but no one wants to listen to her. So I think that's going to be her motivation throughout Andor is trying to, it's going to be twofold. So kind of like Nick said, her ambition, but also to try and prove herself. Like, like, look, you fucking idiots, this, this star path unit getting stolen and this happening on this planet and, Eventually, they're going to hear about what happens on Aldhani. She's going to go, hello, hello, is anyone listening to me now? And then, you know, in the Empire, they're still probably going to be like, hey, whatever, we're the Empire. You know, we'll just, as Nick said, we'll unleash the blue guy or the guy in armor that's, you know, a heart of breathing. 
Yeah. And, <laughs> it's and, like big, big armor guy. He's the, on it. They're, they're not, they're not, yeah, they're, they're still clearly not worried about it. So that, that's going to be Miro, Miro's angle throughout. And I, I dig her. I like this character. She, uh, she probably is evil, but because she's around all these other evil people, she almost, I don't know. You almost have like a sympathetic take on her. At least I, it's did. almost like if, if you've ever seen those like alignment charts on the internet where it's like, Oh, chaotic good. And all of these, like she would be like, <laughs> she's in a Venn diagram. Evil. Then she's in the yeah. Venn, but like in the middle circle somewhere. If, if, if you look at it, it's like, Hey, it's like lawful good. Neutral good, chaotic good, and then it goes all the way down. She would be lawful evil, where she's like, I am bad, but there's a way to do things when you're bad. So we should do it by the book. And everybody else is just like, okay, they're just like, whatever. They're just evil. They don't care about process. They don't care about anything else. They're just like, whatever. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, because I mean- Nobody else will deal with that. You can always take the the stance of, well, you know, she- was on their side, so she probably bought into the propaganda and thought she was doing what was right. As yeah. as a lot of the Imperials were, but we also know there are a lot of Imperials that were scumbags, and they were Imperials and and rose to positions of power because they were scumbags, because scumbags thrive in a chaotic empire, as um, Palpatine kind of intended. All right, so good stuff there. Let's, let's we'll, we usually start with Easter eggs, but because I'm on the review page, we'll just start with the top moments. We we kind of touched on some of these, but. The first one that that stood out here was that conversation between Cassian and Luthen. And I think one of the the bigger lore nuggets that came out of it was the fact that Cassian was on Mimban at the same time as Han Solo. I mean, we we could sit here and now fan what if, like, hey, did did Han Solo get a few meals from young Cassian? As we learned, Cassian was more or less a a chef there, but he lived... As Solo made it through Mimbom because they ran, they they just fucking ran away. Uh, so I, it, it was little, but you, you gotta love those little nuggets. They the Empire essentially forced Cassian into the army after he was arrested the first time at at, at sixteen. So that was kind of neat to just think that him and Solo, and just like Solo says, like um, aren't aren't we the ones on their planet fucking them up? Like shouldn't they be trying to kill us? Because, yeah. you know, Cassian's like, listen, what, what, what was it for? We learned we were just fighting each other. Yeah. But I also love how Cassian has his story. That oh, yeah. Is yeah. He's a t- rehearsed. Tommy tough guy. And yeah. then, <laughs> then Luthen's like, dude, you went there. You were a cook. And the only reason you survived because you ran away. Yeah. He's like, like you, you never like fought. Literally. You yeah. Like calling him out. Like you may be able to spin this bullshit to everybody else that, you know, to like make you seem like a hard ass. But I... He literally says, I know you and I know the stories that people have told me about you. So you can't really give me the bullshit that you give everybody else. And I think that that moment is when Cassian realized like, okay, I'm actually in a position that I've never really been in before. And I need to be way more wary about what I say. And and, yeah, you're right. I think really that that whole dialogue exchange early on this episode on Lucen's ship uh, showed again just just how in the know Luthen truly is I mean he knows everything about everyone all at once uh, but I, I think you're right it it, it kind of convinced Cassian like okay there there's no use in trying to run this guy clearly knows more about me than I know about him and he 
while at times I may not be giving him what he wants, he is more or less selling me exactly what I want to hear. If you think about it, what Luthen has given Cassian is what he wants. I mean, even even if he doesn't stick around for the rebellion at large, he's getting 200,000 credits for this job, which is probably enough for him to get himself a starship and go back to Ferrix and save his lady love, just like Han Solo wanted to do after he joined the Empire. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just... That the whole opening scene and the dialogue between Cassie and Luthen was fantastic. Yeah, one hundred percent. The next one of note, we we touched on a little bit, but I just I absolutely loved the first ISB scene. It really was. It was like they're having a staff yeah. meeting. All the all the major officers that you know have control over multiple sectors of the galaxy. They showed up to report in. Uh, you, we, we, we discussed how you can just, you can almost feel the, the misogyny in the room when the females, their reports are revolving around, uh, rebel activity, but the rest of the room's like, Hey, fuck you. You guys are stupid. Whatever. That, yeah. That's nothing. Uh, but just, just some of the reports you heard, which we'll go over in the Easter egg segment because they were chock full of, of references, but you really got, you, you kind of got to sit in and, and hear how the empire governs the security of the galaxy which i thought was was very interesting but also it it was it was odd how flippant they are about certain things right like they just again hey hey this this is happening this seems like organized rebel activity you're like who gives a shit that thing on the ferrix is it fixed yep okay who gives a shit like every everything is very they they, nick they feel like most corporate offices where everyone is there (laughs) to do a job when they're on the clock and they just want to go home, right? Like they're just, Dude, that's the, that's like their Monday morning meetings. Exactly. First meeting of the week. Nobody's awake yet. Everybody just wants to get this. Yeah, shut shit up, Grandy. We don't care about the rebel cells. Move on to the next yeah, one. It's like they, whatever. They, they, they got to get through their, their reports, right? He even yes. mentions reports later on the episode. So yeah. yeah. When he's talking to her, he's like, he turned in his report. Exactly. You haven't yet. His, <laughs> so I was his like, TP, wow, this is his how TP report. Yeah. So I, I just like, it's like, Hey, just another day at the office for the ISB. But I think what makes that interesting is then to know and kind of uh, juxtapose it to some of the atrocious acts that we know the ISB is responsible for oh, with, yeah. with a oh, recent yeah. one being the, you know, a night of a thousand tears. I mean, if we believe Gideon, he was with the ISB when he was on Mandalore and there you go. So it was, it was very, uh, it was almost odd to see them acting so professional and, and corporate-like about what they do, because really what they do is torture, arrest, lockups, genocide, you know, you name it. I mean, he even, he, 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 towards the end to Miro, he's like, hey, you know what? I, I forgot to commend you on how many people you have locked up on this planet. Good for you. Yeah. Those are some of the best yeah. attention numbers I've ever seen on a TP report. And you know what's funny, too, is like the ISB, again, like going back to like Tony's wheelhouse, falls right into what he does. The ISB is essentially the Star Wars CIA. And like that is what all of his movies are about. Like his movies are about like these CIA, like, the CIA, clandestine activities, you know, uh, like extorting people and then, you know, secret prisons, black sites and all this kind of stuff. And then like they, they essentially told Tony was like, oh, yeah, like he probably went up and like pitched this idea. And he's like, they were like, Tony, you do realize that there's already 
a system like this in the Star Wars universe. You don't have to build one for yourself. And he's like, oh, great. Well, I have a whole series about the ISB then. So here we go. Like, it's just funny how all of this, like all of this pre-established canon was already there for him to take advantage of. And he probably didn't even know it. So it's it's great to see how he's taking advantage of the structure already in place. No, I, I agree, Nick. And I, I think... I think that's why he's making these mundane Star Wars moments stand out is because he is used to this type of genre, but he's clearly and and there was some strong nepotism in this episode. I believe his, his brother wrote it and his other brother helped produce it. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's all coming from Tony. Let's be real. I mean, if there's a, if there are Gilroy's in the credits, it's just, fake for Tony Gilroy. It's just another way for him to get more, (laughs) more jobs and wear more hats for a particular episode. But back to my point is even in a Monday, like on, on paper, you're reading this script. You're like, Oh fuck, we got to watch a scene, Uh, uh, literally a staff meeting of the ISB. That's, that's going to be stupid. That's going to be boring. But here we are now spending five minutes talking about it. And we're talking about it because of how plain it was and how almost real life to us. It felt I mean, it felt no different than any corporate staff meeting I've been to. They're just talking about uh, oppressing billions of people in the galaxy. Uh, yeah. But it, 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 this is the beauty of Tony Gilroy and doing Star Wars is he can make moments like this impactful and interesting and insightful. So, uh, I mean, that's why we call him the Lord. I mean, Sir Tony, that, that he is so far, he's paying off on all of the hype he spewed. And that's impressive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Next, next top moment here. I, I briefly touched on this, but I, I think again, I think Stalin should get an Emmy regardless. But when he puts on his costume, or you could argue it is, it's his disguise, even though it's his disguise for his everyday Coruscanti life. Yeah. But just seeing Stalin become that different version of Luthen, become the art, the high art dealer, the collectibles dealer was a thing of beauty and and it shows you you know that acting is a talent that not everyone can have cuz he he doesn't say anything it's just all physical and how he looks at himself and just puts that smile on with that hand move and you're like he he just turned into a completely different version of the same character right in front of my eyes out of his physical acting so i i thought that was um, it it was a great moment for the character of Luthen just to see the pain and, and, and the toil that it really even the stress that his double life puts on him. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it also goes to show you like, I mean, this is who he is. He's dedicated to the cause. He's got to put this, this, this costume on to start working the, uh, the more public aspect of his venture to start the rebel Alliance. So I, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it shows his dedication to the cause because it's not only taken up, you know, one side of his life, but the whole second side of his life is also dedicated to right. it. Like there, there's not a place that he can go where he can escape or, or he tries to escape from his job within, you know, building the rebellion. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, I, I when I was first watching the scene at his shop you know, he's got his receptionist and they're making, Oh, she's got a new driver. And at first I'm like, it, it was, I was like, why are they so fucking worried about her driver? Who gives a shit? And then you realize like the shop is a fucking front. I mean, yeah. 
whatever her name is, Clea, she's in on it. Luthen's in on it. Mon's in on it. And the reason they're worried about the drivers because they keep replacing her drivers because they keep spying on her. Uh, you know, I just I love the setup with 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 his uh, essentially the receptionist. She goes and takes care of the driver. And once she gets him to the side, she looks over at Mon and Luthen giving him the high sign like, OK, now you can go pretend that you need to find something in the back. And yeah, you know, they, and it's just the like it's the little details, too, because when she says like, oh, she's got a new driver and then Luthen asks, like, is he Shandrillin? Yeah, Shandrillin, right. Because Chandrilla is what she's, she's the senator of, of Chandrilla. Yep. So she, at least he's like, is he from the same planet? If he's not from the same planet, we can already immediately assume that this exactly. is an ISB plant or this is some, somebody that's tailing her from the empire. If the person is Chandrilla and there's a chance that, that he's not a part of that, but it also gives information to his assistant to be like, Hey, look, I have some stuff like she's going to the back. No problem. I have some stuff to show you though. Like come over here, come look at these coins. These coins may be something you're interested in. Like keep him busy. Yeah. Yeah. Keep him busy. So he's not like, you know, listening in or trying to peek his head around and see what's going on back here. Like the, it's the trade craft. Of oh it yeah. All, yeah. You know? yeah. Like, I mean, Luthen and I, th- I believe her name is Clay. If, if I'm fucking it up, someone let me know on the live stream. I mean, they, they truly are with a K. Yeah. They're master spies. I mean, they, they're master spies. I mean, Luthen is a master spy. There's no doubt about it with the connections that he probably has. And we will learn he has on Coruscant. Like the dude is a pro. I mean, he, he's better than any fucking Jason Bourne out there. James Bond, you name it. I mean, this guy he is 007 times two. You know what I mean? Double O fourteen. That's right. It's not. It's <laughs> yeah. not even. Clo- it is, right. It's not even close. But it just even Nick when they when they walk to the back and they know they're out of sight, you can physically see uh, Mon and Luthen like the, their their appearances changes. They go from those fakes, you know, Coruscant highlight Miles high society stuff, smile yeah. to. You can literally, through their face, feel the stress and anxiety of their lives as they're living these these double lives. Uh, her yeah. politically and him going out and literally doing it all, doing the recruiting, putting the teams together, uh, coming up with the mission plans. I mean, she's mostly, it sounds at this point, the the money person. Like she's yeah, the one she's he needs not- to move funds around using her Senate powers to fund yeah. all the cells he's got going on. And like you mentioned too, like she's not even in a position to where she can be like, I've cleared this person to enter this circle. So they're all good. He's like, hold on. Like you want to bring somebody else in at this point without telling me anything about them. You think that I'm just going to let you do that. So like it really lays out like who is in charge here and how little Mon Mothma has to do with the actual building of the rebellion at this point. She truly is. A political face. I mean, she is the money, the money bags at this point. But I, I yeah. guess since you brought it up, the circle, because I, I looked it up. There is a circle in Star Wars, and it's not the one that they brought up. It, it was a Nikto Slicer gang we'll talk about in the Easter eggs and reference breakdown. But the the, the circle, and who could she be adding? Is it I, I, Someone had a meme, and it was like Jar Jar Binks standing behind her. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> like I said, Bail Organa, it, that seems... That seems too obvious. It seems like he should already be in it at this point in time, five years before BBY. 
uh, could it be Saul Guerrera? Because we know that eventually she ends up not really digging Saul and essentially says, you can't join the Rebel Alliance because you're a psycho. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was a very casual drop, but I think it has deep meaning for the series. You know, who's this yeah. person? What exactly is the circle? Who's already in it besides Luthen and Mon? Um, yeah, I mean, if you would think about it, the, my, my mind first goes to the, like, some members of the original Senate group that were like, we're not comfortable with the amount of power. Like, I think it was like the, the, the quorum of a thousand or something like that. You know, at the end of, yeah, maybe, maybe three, it is the, bail. The I mean, scene. maybe it is bail. I don't know. I just, cause it's with ba- but like, I kind of agree with you that bail has shown from minute one that like, he's a part of this. Like he was, Fighting for the alliance, he yeah. was fighting on the side I mean, of good. Dude, he was against. At the end of Attack the, of the Clones, Bail is in the press box with uh, you know Amiza and and Palpatine, and as you know, they're all smiling and happy that the clone army's taking off to start the Clone Wars. He's sitting there pounding the the ledge like fuck. I failed. This is this is bad fucking news. Like he's already yeah. bummed out. Yeah. So but I bad don't saying, think it's uh, him. Uh, Nadine, right? General Nadine. General Nadine. Well, you know what? Because, yeah, he would have been an Imperial still at this point in time, and uh, that that wouldn't be bad. That's what I was going to say. Like, it kind of makes sense for Nadine because he is a part of the Imperial Navy. So having him come into this circle that is of rebellious individuals... Adding in an Imperial Navy officer may not be the safest thing to do. Right. It may make absolutely no sense, especially to somebody like Luthen, who's actively yeah, and, and you would like, think counter stuff to the Imperial uh, Navy. So you would think, Nick, that the circle is more left for the mines and the in the politicians yeah. versus the the war masters. You know, I yeah, I, I can see General. I mean, he he drew up the the Endor battle plans. I mean, so he was active military. Where I, I, yeah. I really do, I think the circle is, it's, it's these figureheads like a Luth and a Mon, and you know, maybe it is fucking Bale, maybe, maybe I'm just overthinking it at this point in time where, you know, she officially wants to bring him in. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I know Cause by, I by, by, by the time it's... Rebels comes around, Princess Leia is already helping the Rebel cells. Uh, yes. So it would be right and, about this timeline. And it's, it's not Saw, cause like you just mentioned, like Saw is a part of the the ground troops essentially like well, he's and, not and we mind. know he's in this series and we know he's Luthen is going to take Cassian to him at some point in time yeah so it's it's not him the and I, I like my first thought was Bale too when I was watching the episode I was like I wonder if it's Bale yeah, but like it makes it, sense for him to be there we could be overthinking already. it we could be overthinking it because yeah. I mean all we know now for from canon is. You know, Bale, at least five years before this, this is when he he linked up with Kenobi again uh, to get Princess Leia back after she'd been kidnapped. And he was still clearly in the Senate and under the rule of the Empire and, and kind of playing along with the Empire that it was it was the right thing. And if you remember, Princess Leia's like, hey, you know, my dad's a senator and isn't the Empire great and yada, yada, yada. So you you could argue that it would it would take him another five years and more atrocities to kind of take place for him to, you know, really risk his his seat, 
his place in the galaxy, but I don't know. It just, yeah. it just seemed way too obvious to me, but like it is Tony Gilroy, Nick, and he wouldn't do anything cynical. So it's probably not going to be like, <laughs> like a, like an Easter egg banger or a reference of that nature. So it very well could be Bale. Uh, I just hope they pay off on it. Cause, uh, we didn't we didn't get any payoff on the flashbacks and, and the way that these episodes are going. As I said earlier, they they're going to be three episode arcs. I don't I don't know if we're going to get any more payoff on on Cassie and on Canary or any of that shit until he gets back to hopefully remembering that he was looking for his sister because it really seems for at least the next two episodes he's on Alhani and he's with this with Vel's group and they need to pull off this mission. Uh, so I guess if, unless he has a lot of sleeping to do, I'm not sure how how we justify in the narrative to go back to Canary and see kind of what happened there. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see if they just if he does pick that storyline up again, because that seemed like a pretty big deal to him. Yeah. And it would feel if they didn't pick it up, it would feel weird. It would feel like one of those loose threads where like. Maybe they started it and then decided later yeah, in the series it like, would, this isn't worth. It would like, be one of the it would be one of the worst MacGuffins of all time because that's truly what it, what it was. It ended up being then where he literally just mentions his sister name at a whorehouse and we get yeah. we get to see her a few times in flashbacks and then that's it. He's off to eventually blow up the Death Star. He's like, well, guess what? Now, I mean, hey, like now it. that I'm involved in this, yeah. this, this whole rebel <laughs> thing, I don't care about my sister. I got, much. I got like, Val. She's a girl. That's good enough. Yeah. Who cares? There's some other people around. <laughs> so, speaking of Val, Val Sartha, I, I'm a big, I was a big fan of this character. I like her. Uh, clearly, she's someone important. She's someone that Luthen trusts. She's someone that Luthen has trusted for quite some time. Uh, I mean. None of her other compatriots have ever met Luthen or really even know he exists. She goes yeah. off and, and deals with him on her own. But you could tell from their talk, Nick, that, that Luthen also commands her respect, like her the utmost respect, because he, he more or less says, like, you better shut the fuck up and listen to me. You're going to do exactly what I'm telling you to do, and you're going to fucking like it. And, you know, she yeah. gives him a, a few shitty faces, but ultimately she she's like, sir, yes, sir. So, yeah, I mean, you can it it just shows the amount of control that Luthen has not over like not just over like the the larger kind of building of the rebellion, but literally running the exact operations of cells just through another person mm -hmm. because like he essentially tells her like this is what you're going to say this is what you're yeah. going to tell them you know this is why it happened this is how it happened this is this is how it's going to be and she's like and she literally just like when she goes there she just repeats everything he says like so he's he's running all of these cells just through individual people. Correct. Like it's pretty crazy. The level of control that he has over this entire operation. Yeah. It's just like, how did, how did they meet? Why did he identify her? Like he clearly identified Cassian. And if that's the case, how's yeah. this dude able to kind of pick out these soon to be rebel heroes? Like how did he get so good at it? How is he so apt at scanning the galaxy yeah. and finding these freedom fighters that he can rely on to execute his grand plans? Uh, so I don't know. Maybe there's more to Vel. Cause I think in the trailers, Nick, at some point we see her speaking with Mon Mothma, like in, in the same room, I believe. So it, it, is there a connection between these two? 
because uh, I don't know about you, but I don't believe Vel and and what Nemka and uh, some of these other Nemec people. I don't think they're from Aldhani. Like they don't they they, they no. refer to the people as like the natives, and they were shepherds, and they were all kind of herded to the south where the empire built this imperial zone and. You know, hey, here's this somewhat Jedi seeing stone temple thing that they'd come and pray at every three years. So it, it almost seems like Luthen, like these are true guerrilla fighters that he just places on planets for these operations. Yeah. I think the only one that, I mean, he's, he's not even from Aldani, but there was one guy who was like, yeah, I've been here six years. He, well, he's so he's their, seen... he's their spy. Like he's who they have yeah. on the inside. He He is he's with the, the Empire, but yeah, so... It's hopefully over the next two episodes where, like I said, it's going to cover the Aldhani mission from start to finish. I I do believe tomorrow uh, maybe we'll see a practice run, if not the beginning of the mission. And then two weeks from tomorrow, you'll actually see if they pull it off. And then by the end of, of episode six, that would be he'll be moving on to the next big adventure, probably because something big happens. Well, obviously, if they pull it off. What, what what do you think is going to happen? The Empire is going to know that something huge just went down because their whole fucking payroll for a sector yeah, is going to be stolen. Is- so that that's really going to ratchet up the the tension, I believe, once once they finish Aldhani. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about this particular move is that they could see this as like as non-rebel activity because it's not going to be like an attack on a base like they're just going in siphoning this money out and then hopefully leaving without causing a big disturbance because i mean based on the way the isb handles any reported rebel activity they're gonna be like fuck you there's no way rebels could do this or like there had to be they'll probably be like hey yeah look there was an inside man and that's it close the books on this one nothing to see here so like they'll yeah they'll move pretty quickly past it but now you funded your rebellion for you know the next however right. long and, and but you know and, you know who is not going to let it go by way of the star oh yeah, path it, unit is going to be Miro like Miro, it, Miro. It, she's going to be the bug up Luthen and, and Andor's ass at least for this yeah. first season yeah so I think that after this what you'll probably see is maybe like a gathering of resources like kind of bringing the disparate pieces together to to have a conversation about like, okay, now that we have this money, what do we want to do? Like, what is our next I, I big think you're right. move? I, I do. I think this is, I, I think this is the biggest mission Luthen has attempted at this point in time. I really do. And, and I think this is almost there. His, his way of indirectly rolling out the red carpet to the empire, like, Hey, you, you, you definitely have a problem on your hands. There, there is an organized rebellion going on. Uh, so I, I do think this is kind of hit the, the biggest mission he has tried to pull off to date that we're going to see go down on Aldhani and one that may finally get the notice of the empire. Yeah. Because up until now, so, you, you could argue he's just been doing little knick-knacky shit there, yeah. there, you know, kneecapping him for a little bit, but but nothing on the level of stealing the payroll for an entire sector. 
Yeah, I mean, even this Star Path unit that was stolen seems to not be that big of a deal to the people in the ISB. Right. Like, <laughs> I yeah, mean, out, outside like of they, Miro, because apparently Steer Guard is in one of her two sectors and it's an open yeah. case, and like any detective, she wants to close it. But yeah. she also has the, the angle of, I don't think this is just random. I think there are rebels doing this shit, trying to steal this stuff to eventually start you know larger scale operations against the empire yeah Uh, she's the one i'm telling you throughout this entire season she's going to be the one beating that horn and she's going to keep getting you know a thumb put on her head until ultimately they the the dudes or patagas they can't ignore it any longer yeah yeah absolutely like bats in here bats speculating that vel could be cassian's sister no i mean you never know we really don't know I mean, anything. That, I I don't know about that. I think that, one, I think that Cassian, if he saw his sister, would probably know her. Like, know that, like, yeah. this is my sister. And two, I honestly think that that would be a really bad twist. Well, to it's be too, like, oh, it, yeah, it's like, too Skywalker saga. It's too Skywalker yeah, saga. Yeah, it's like, it, it, it. it's not only that, that, like, but, like, she just doesn't yeah i don't know i just think that that would be a bad plot but i i, like, I oh, know yeah, th- like this girl that you yeah. <laughs> randomly met is also your sister well, like, like i said i mean my my speculation here is and i i do believe this was featured in trailers but there, there's some tie between her and mon somehow who knows yeah who knows so, so. Yeah, thank could, you, thank be. you, Devin. We do look. We we um, coordinated this week. We are wearing the official Andor uniform to break down episode four. Thanks to our boy Action Figure Snaps, Adrian. Good dude. But we appreciate you um, checking out our chests. Yes. All right. So there's Val. I, I I appreciate meeting her. I think she's fun. Uh, the Luthen and, and Mon meeting and talking about the circle. We've we've gone over this. We we've said everything that needs to be said. I just I think these two actors did a great job in in completely changing their demeanor without changing costume or having makeup added. And, you know, Nick and I, we've already went in circles speculating about the circle. So there's not much else I want to talk about this until we get to the Easter eggs. And then there's plenty of shit. Um, Nick brought him up earlier. We got to talk about Perrin, Mon's shitty husband. Yeah. Um, so it was not the old guy that I saw her with in the trailers. This this is Perrin. He's got, you know, that that douche haircut. It's like a modified samurai man bun. Um, <laughs> and you yeah, I mean, he's just a he's just a loser. Like he is to me the epitome of a kept man from high society. And I, I think Nick, what shocked me the most. And again, this is with the foresight of, of knowing who Mon ultimately becomes. But it's like, how does someone like Mon, who actually cares about the little people and who at some point in time will give up all of her wealth to become the face of the rebellion, how does she fuck up so bad and marry a guy like this who only cares yeah, about I, status and title and names? And, and, you know, clearly he was in the, the, the Imperial Army at some point because he's having this dinner to... Because now his buddies from the army, they've become governors of systems and he's inviting Sly yeah. Moore. And so how the fuck do these two get linked up? Someone who you would think it's, has good character should not pick someone like this. It's a good question. And 
What I'll say here is that since there's so many different planets with different cultures within the Star Wars universe and, you know, within the galaxy, there like Chandrilla may be a may be a, a planet that literally still has arranged marriages. OK, I mean, because did you not get sort of the, the Japanese aesthetic with their costume and whatnot? Like, I mean, even his hair yeah. is done in that samurai style, which would have had arranged you know marriages and whatnot so that that's a great way to think about it i i, I wasn't going there at all but that's interesting to think about because that would explain it because these these two just do not seem like they have the same ethos anything like, yeah. like they, and also like he just seems to not really care about her like not really think about her when he's making decisions. Like he's like, oh, well, all of my military friends wanted to have a dinner. So why wouldn't I have a dinner with them? Right. Why would I think that having Sly Moore here, <laughs> literally the, you know, the right hand person or right hand alien to the emperor be a bad thing for you? Like he just doesn't seem to take Mon Mothma into his thought process when making decisions. And that to me really screams like he came from a family of privilege and Mon Mothma was married into this family because it is to the tradition of the Chandrillan, you know, plan. Oh, I, li- I like that. Hey, and we all know love can make you do fucking stupid things. So, I mean, there is a, yeah. there is potential that when they were younger, they, they loved each other. They liked playing with each other's body parts and heavy petting sessions and, and it all was good. But then they got older and realized that, you know what? We're not even remotely aligned to each other outside of our, you know, our, 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 our carnal desires. Um, because he's just, yeah, he's such a putz. Like Devin says, I mean, even at the end when he's like, Oh, I heard you got me a gift. And she's like, fuck you. I'm taking it back. He's like, why must everything be boring and sad? He's like, what a tool. I I just, I, I want Mon Mothma to kill this guy. Like, like I thought Tim was going to be douche of the year for Andor, but, but Perrin here is quickly on his heels to take the pole position of the biggest douche featured in Andor season one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, think so. I, I mean, him, <laughs> him and Tim with two M's are just probably two star Wars characters that I instantly hated. Just, he, just hearing them talk. Yeah. Like just, and they're not, they're arguably not even bad guys. You just, you, you look at them, you hear what they say, you infer what type of person they are. And you're just like, you know what? You're a scumbag. I don't like you. So, um, but I, I, I hope we get to see the dinner. I don't know if we will, but I do hope to uh, see the dinner with some of these guests they're bringing in. Because as Nick said, I mean, you're literally she, she's like from the Vizier's office that the Vizier's Masamita, who is Palpatine's secondhand man. But, you know, you saw Slymore in the prequels. She was sitting in the little middle podium thing with the both of them. And then the yeah. other guy is like a, we'll talk about him in the Easter egg, but he's like a. Some people think he's one of the uh, Palpatine advisors you see in Return of the Jedi. He's been mentioned before, all this fun stuff. So, Yeah, uh, I mean, as far as we know, Sly Moore is who Palpatine is banging, which is why everybody thinks that that Sly Moore is one of the, like, potential for, like, the the mother of, of like, you know, Palpatine's well, children. Well, we know. I mean, th- thanks to the comics, we know that she uh, get, gets in league with Crimson Dawn, and yeah. and tries to take out Vader and Palpatine. 
So, that, but hey, that's that's what you get when you run an empire, an evil empire. Yeah, you just you can't trust Especially any of these motherfuckers. With, with Sith rules, <laughs> so Sith rules always mean somebody's about to die. <laughs> somebody's always got a knife to their back at some point. So yeah. <laughs> All right. So last last few things on Perrin here. I definitely would not. Uh, shed a tear if something happens in this season let's say maybe mon gets found out and they raid their apartment and happen to shoot this guy Uh, i i would not i would not feel bad about the loss of mon's husband and honestly i don't think she would either i don't really think they like each other anymore she definitely doesn't like him uh the last top moment again we 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 already discussed so just to reinforce here i'm talking about the meeting that Miro had with Patagaz by herself, uh, where we already we already know her intuition is correct, but no one is listening to her. But but like I said earlier, you know how he throws out, you, you know you do you have this high bar to live up to. Okay, well why is it because she's a female in a male dominated organization, or is it from her past with enforcement, or does she have an even deeper past that may be suspect? And the fact that he mentions, hey, we're, we're trying to bring in more officers like you. What exactly does that mean? Again, is that more women or more people that have that more hardcore background from a more militaristic background into the security bureau? So, yeah, uh, we, we, we kind of went through that. So, Nick, let's uh, move into the Easter eggs, as I called it. It was an Easter egg overload in Andor <laughs> season four. I mean, we had new planets, we had Star Wars references, we had multiple Game of Thrones connections with major characters. Uh, So let's get right into it. Starting with a big drop, again, from this fantastic discussion between uh, Andor and Luthen to start things off. So first we get Aldhani, a new planet. Yay! Uh, but I love the line from Cassian where, you know, he, he, he can tell he's being recruited to some sort of freedom force. And he's like, listen, man, the Alliance, the Seps, Guerrillas, the Partisan Front, they're all the same for what? Essentially, like, listen, we we've been trying to do this since the dawn of the Empire and even under the Republic, common people have banded together. But it doesn't fucking matter because the Empire just usually has a has us fighting each other. Uh, we got the, the, the men bomb drop. We already talked about that, but that was a great reference tying, giving us more through lines through these star Wars properties. You got to love it. Uh, an easy one here. Hey, there's Coruscant, the capital of the galaxy. Those are my favorite Easter yep. eggs. You know, not a lot of, not, don't have to look anything up. <laughs> not a lot of thinking required. Uh, yeah. all right. So our first game of Thrones connection, Patagaz, he played Kyburn. This is, uh, Anton Lesser. He played Kyburn who, Eventually became what Cersei's hand at some point in time. He was the yeah. he was the maester that liked to get into some weird shit and reanimate. Fire. Like he was the one who made like the whatever fire, the green fire. Right. He the, he resurrected the the mountain and turned the, him into that that Sir Gregor zombie thing. So that that was our first Game of Thrones connection through Patagaz. But like I said earlier, the ISB staff meeting was loaded with references. Uh, we, they dropped the Ryloth sector. You heard in Arvala 6, which is probably the sister planet to Arvala 7, where we met uh, 
our boy Kawil in The Mandalorian. You heard the Abrion Sector discussed. The Abrion Sector contains Scarif and Rishi. Remember the Rishi maze? We all remember Scarif. Hell, you even had this pasty-looking ginger talk about Scarif itself. And he literally says, yo, there's a lot of fucking traffic going to Scarif, a lot of resources. We don't really know. We don't really know why, but yeah. So, but we know what's happening there. So that was, that was a nice little reference. Yeah. Uh, Cassian, after his little knife shave, takes on the name Clem, which is a nod to his God or his stepfather. Adopted father. And here's the big one that blew up the internet, Nick, and, Knowing your love of KOTOR, I wonder if it resonated as much with you. Um, but I'm glad I took my notes because this was huge. So, yeah, it, you know, it's just before there, he's, Luthen is going to go talk with Vel. He gives Cassian what he calls a Kawadi signet, blue kyber, sky crystal. You know, I love how he yeah. delivers that shit. So on the surface, we're all like, oh, cool, blue, blue, blue kyber. We know what that is. You know, those make blue lightsabers. But it's what he said after it that was so huge for people. When he mentions that this this signet was created because of my people in, in the uprising against the Rakatan invaders. Now, yeah. did that kind of ring a bell for you and your love of KOTOR? Or did you forget who these people were? No, yeah. The, I mean, here's the thing about... Rakatan, Rakatan, however he wants to say it, like their invasion into known space happened so far in the past that it was like it was even a a memory to like it was a long distant memory in history to the people of Revan's timeline. Right. So so like well, Nick, I like, think that's why remember, I think that's why fans are like, "Holy shit!" In yeah, a Tony Gilroy Star Wars, they canonized the the Rakatan invasion. But, yeah, I mean, which is pretty insane when you think about it, because the Rakatans were at like a very like technologically advanced right. civilization. They, they invented the Star Forge, the, like the the whole yes. thing, the, the the main item that you're going for through the duration of Kotor. Like you, you've got to make it to the Star Forge before the bad guys, because the Star Forge, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, can be used to. Create make AI and, and robot Sith and all this shit. Just a robot army, essentially, right? Yeah, I mean, they they like the the way they position it is like you can use the Star Forge to create like a a, a fleet of ships and and in, intelligence that is completely unbeatable. Like if anybody has control and uses the Star Forge, they can essentially take over the galaxy with very little trouble. Um, so. That, yeah, I mean, the I fact mean, that, that they that, brought, go ahead. It's just, I think we're going to say the same thing, essentially. It's just the, the, the fact that they incorporated it in there and canonized it now. And, and as Nick said, we're talking, I mean, KOTOR was what, 10,000 years from Battle of Yavin? I think it was 5,000. And, and, I think it was three to 5,000. And this invasion would have been thousands of years before that. I and mean, they, they literally came and yeah. took over the galaxy. They 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 kind of yeah. look like Mon Calamari. They had the uh, they had these fish eyes that stuck out of the head. They had, they had like cone and they heads, had, and like, then the, their eyes came out of the side. Yeah, it came out of the side. Yeah. So Kotor is about four thousand years before the rise of the Empire. The Rakatan invasion of known space happened 
I would say probably 2000 years before that. Um, so it's it's old and yeah I was very surprised when I it heard that it was huge because I mean um, essentially what Luthen says yeah. like I mean th- this would have happened ten thousand years ago maybe when his people rose up against these invaders and finally forced them out of the galaxy so that was a huge Star Wars canonization moment for Kotor and just a lore reference that you would not expect from a guy who spent. The majority of his press tour saying, I'm not making a fucking Star Wars show for Star Wars fans. I don't believe in Easter eggs, cynical cameos, nothing. And then you have this episode with a line like that and don't just wait till we get to Luthen's shop. I mean, it's like they raided the prequel prop vault. It was loaded with good shit. Uh, so yeah. that that was huge. Uh, one six shooter here. I'm gonna give him some time. He's he's saying it right now. He's he's dropping a Star Wars time show. Take it to the bank prediction. And one six shooter saying Luthen is a former Jedi. Um, that would be interesting to me. I could see it. Um, I, but I like I I could I could see that happening. But I don't know. Okay, so it it really depends on how much they try to canonize from Legends. Because here's... All right, so I just looked up the timeline of the Rakuten invasion because I knew it was like... It was way long ago. In Legends timeline, the Rakuten species invaded Tython, which is the planet where the Force was discovered. Yep. In 25,793 BBY. Okay, so yeah. (laughs) We're talking centuries and centuries and centuries. Yeah. I mean, you're talking 20... Like, it's 20,000 years before Revan. So it's that long ago. (laughs) That's why it's so huge. Yeah. But, like, at that period of time was right when the initial ancient Jedi were on Tython. Mm -hmm. So if he's saying that this is a relic of my people, right. Then you could infer that he is a descendant of the ancient, the truly ancient Jedi. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying Trevor is is off or on. I I think he, I think there, there might be something to that prediction. It could be, it would be very interesting if he was a Jedi during the Galactic Republic era. Yeah, I, I, I feel like Luthen may, may have already fallen out or might have already started doing... It's, it's almost like he did the opposite of Count Dooku, where Count Dooku was like, you know what, We're, the, the Order's lost, the Republic's fucked, I'm going to go kind of do my thing and, and raise all these other systems against the Republic, where... Luthen might actually, instead of being a shithead, saw the writing on the wall and just kind of bowed out and started his planning and, and identifying assets and people across the galaxy. Who the fuck knows? I, I, like I said, it, it's an interesting speculation. Um, but the fact that, I mean, Nick, he is, he's very clear that he wants this item back. I mean, he, he gives it to yeah, him as a down ex- payment just to convince Cassian, like, listen, you piece of shit, I'm going to fucking pay you. Here, yeah. I'll give you essentially a family heirloom that's that's worth over fifty thousand credits. Uh, yeah, it's like you can take it, you can sell it for fifty thousand, but I want it back. Yes, like he made it very clear. 
I want this back. It so means even if something you sell it, to you him. better find a way to get it back yeah, to me. It, it has it has more value to him than credits is is what we're getting at. So that's a, I don't know that that's something to think about. I just I can't really see it because I can't see Jedi being, and this is odd to say about Jedi, but I can't see them having this type of foresight during that period because they were so fucking clouded and and arrogant and full of hubris. I don't know. That's a good one. That's a good one to think about for sure. Yeah. But I mean, like I wouldn't doubt that having something like that from that timeline yeah. I mean, maybe he is descendant of ancient Jedi, right? But not yeah, necessarily yeah, an actual Jedi himself. I mean, you could also, if if we're running with this angle, that could also explain, you know, maybe why he's so good at what he's doing, how he's able yeah. to identify the right people. He can actually see through them almost, Senses. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Senses the thing. Uh, Devin, our boy Super Scoundrel, saying, do we think Luthen's ship is powered by Kyber? Because Cassian said he never saw a type of ship go light speed, and it also has the energy laser weapon thing on board. Yeah, why not? I, I, I remember mean, maybe. I, I remember that line. I mean, Cassian specifically is like, whoa, how the hell did you, essentially, how did you just make a jump in, in this type of ship? You know, it would be like watching a TIE fighter jump in the hyperspace. You know they can't do it. So why is this particular model able to do it? That that is a yeah. I almost took that like maybe I thought of that little moment a little differently, but I almost took that as like after he was rescued by you know um, by his adoptive parents by Clem and by Marva. Maybe he hasn't been off of the system, or maybe like he's traveled within a system before, like in an interplanetary system, which is why he goes from like Morlana Six to Ferrix, because you know that they're all in the same system. And that doesn't necessarily require light speed travel. So maybe he's legitimately never been on a ship that actually has hyperspace capability. No, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I would imagine at this point, especially working for the Empire, I mean, you would have think he was on a Star Destroyer to get dropped yeah, off on, on Mimbomb. So I, I think he was generally shocked that a, whatever model ship, this Fondor ship, could do what he saw it doing. Like, it, it, there was something up. Like, it, 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 was, yeah. it was an odd build. And, and it is. I mean, he's got that co-pilot droid that was spying on Cassian as he was considering stealing it. Uh, so yeah, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, I, I I was I wanted to see if you picked up on the the Rakatan mention and and how big that was for a lot of Legends fans and that was like the I mean there was main big sites last week like hey, we can't believe Andor went there this is amazing blah blah blue it's like yeah, yeah it's cool shit I mean that's that's the through lines throughout Star Wars that we love and you know thank you Tony and crew for giving us that that through line i mean it was just a little bit of dialogue but look at the connections it now makes so yeah no i mean it was a solid reference and i was definitely surprised to hear it yeah if you haven't seen one though search for hell let's just do it because they are they're goofy looking motherfuckers you're like how how did these things take over the galaxy and they their speech is actually fucking hilarious here here we are there they are Look at them. They're like first generation Mon Calamari, and they somehow took yeah. over the galaxy. Because, like Nick said, they they their thing was technology. Yeah, 
And and technically, they invaded the galaxy at a time before, um, like the jet, the ancient Jedi had even created lightsabers. Yeah, like you know, like they were still using, or like they were still using proto sabers and stuff like that. And some of them were still using like swords, like actual swords that were just infused with force energy, and you could kind of see the force energy running up the blade. Um, hey, yeah. so so did they. Do they deal with these guys in Swator too? It looks like. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. They that was one of like the one of the main storyline points in in Swator. Once you get towards like the end, is you're going through a planet where there's an old Rakatan prison, essentially. Yeah, yeah I'm seeing and there's you, like you Gorsha make, and Lunu, like named yeah, so named like you, characters here. Yeah, like you make contact with an old um, AI that houses the, I guess you would call it like the memory banks of an old Rakatan um, from the from those days. And then what the first raid in Swotor was called the um, the Eternity Vault, and the final boss and like the Eternity Vault was built by the Rakatan Empire during their 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 invasion. And your the final boss that you fight there is a is like a giant Rakat and they call him the um the chosen one or something like that. Like uh yeah, so they were pretty heavily involved in, in the Swotor storyline for sure. Yeah, I just um those on the live stream I've I've give you given you a tour of the, the Rakatans here. Uh, they're goofy looking motherfuckers. Like I said, I mean, uh, another force from Legends that came in and threatened the known galaxy was with the Yuzan Vong. And those, that race, they they looked mean and angry and that they could fuck shit up. This, these people yeah. just look like, man. The, goofy as fuck. Yeah, the <laughs> early people of the galaxy must have been extremely incompetent. Um, yeah. But, I mean, well, I like they were force sensitive as well. So like you, like... They could use, you know, the Got force it. and stuff like that. Okay. And and really, like, the people of the galaxy at that time, like, tight, like on Tython, the force it, was It would have been like Europeans discovered. landing in the Americas, right? Where Kind of, yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe not as tribal and native, but but the same thing. Like, the, the Rakatans were so advanced when they showed up to this galaxy, uh, similar to, to, to Halo lore, where they, they could almost mold the civilizations or, or quickly take them over. I mean, it wasn't even a, a contest because they had this, what the infinite empire I'm reading here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff there, but Hey, that's why we love Andor in our Easter egg breakdown. All right. So moving on here, we get our next game of Thrones connection in the form of Vel who played the waif in Game of Thrones, the girl that trained Arya in the, uh, was that Pentos or Bravos, one of the free cities. Yeah. So there's a, our second Game of Thrones connection. If you, uh, it, the, the, the one scene where we return to Ferrix to the Corpo security office, if you looked around, you can see that some of the Imperials are sporting mud trooper gear i know they're not wearing the cape but they still got the helmet the goggles and the chest armor so that was a nice little reference from tony who doesn't do references mm -hmm. and uh here is kind of a throwaway scene we learned that apparently you know when a serial is landing from that transportation ship nick he's landing on coruscant 
Apparently yeah. that's a, I, I forget, that's either like a, a Ferrari or Lamborghini dealership, or it's, it's like a big car dealership. But <laughs> the important thing is um, what is said over the loudspeakers. If you heard, they go, Telforto travel to Hosnian Prime, Plexus, and the Euphornus Major. All right, so Hosnian Prime, that is that becomes the seat of the New Republic. All right, yep. it gets blown up in the Force Awakens. Uh, Plexus is a planet that was first brought up in the Star Wars Uprising mobile game that has been dead for many years, and then Euphornus Major comes from the Servants of the Empire book series. Okay, so lots of references there. Um, and now we're getting to the it was just Easter egg overload shop, at, at Luthen's yeah. shop. I think I, I yeah. missed I missed a few shots. Oh no, we'll get there. All right, so Luthen's shop. So the first one, if you're on the live stream, you can see it over Luthen's right shoulder. You can see a Gungan energy shield. I know some people have found some other things, but that's what you get when you have seven days to find shit. I have to do this the morning of. <laughs> so watch my videos first. All right. And then uh, here we get. Oh, Mon, she just mentions Chandrilla in the day of days. Big deal. Here's a good shot. This shot here, if you're on of Luthen's shop, is loaded here. So the horn, this is a Kashyyyk clarion. All right. We got the Beskar we, armor. We saw them. We saw them blow those horns in yes. episode three. Correct. The helmet you see there is also a Wookiee helmet. Of course, he mentioned the Utapawan monk cudgel. Yep. Uh, some of the shit on the wall there, that one of those is a Rylothian calicori. Okay, those are the, you, you saw those in Rebels. They're very important to people of Ryloth. It essentially is their, their family represented in hangy shit. Um, the the fun one there you you've got Star Killer Sith Stalker armor just hanging out in the back. Yep. All right, Nick, yep. that that fucking snake man. Where have I seen that before, or am I crazy? Because because okay, so I, I I looked for it. I looked for two headed snakes in Star Wars. They keep giving me the Chimera, but they don't look like the Chimera. I know Chimera is kind of a two headed snake, but, but with like tentacles and shit coming out of it. So is, is that just something that has never been featured in star wars before and i drove myself nuts or what for some reason i'm picturing this in the rebels series either as a piece of artwork i think it might have been a piece of artwork within thrawn's that's office. what i mean i couldn't i couldn't find but i i could be wrong but it definitely like the first time i saw it i was like okay this definitely reminds me of rebels me too but i couldn't necessarily pin down but i think that might be what it was it's like it may not have been this exact thing, but there may have been like a representation or a piece of artwork that was similar to it in Thrawn's office when like um which like when the rebel like when Phoenix Squadron like infiltrated that like the base and they in like they were inside of his yeah, office. Yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then that's right where my mushy mind took me, but I, I couldn't find any documentation to yeah. back it up. I mean I did Thrawn, Two Snakes, Thrawn's Office, Thrawn's Collection. Yeah, maybe, I mean, but I don't know. I mean, like, we could be wrong, but but it definitely, like, gives me that vibe. Yeah, okay, well, oh. then we, we were aligned, because I, <laughs> I was feeling Thrawn as well, and, and Black Series clips, Thrawn's Office, too. So, I don't know, maybe I'll have to do a, a few more scrubs of the net here to look again, but I could not 
with the stress of the Wednesday crunch going, I could not find any supporting evidence. So I left the snake out, even though we just gave it two minutes of time. It just, it seemed too familiar to me to not be from something, but oh well, we'll give up. Yeah. Uh, continuing our tour, if you paid attention when uh, whatever the hell her name was takes the driver over to the wall, if you look at those stones, those are from the world between worlds. It's the door. It's the hands of the father, the sister, and the brother. They're in the same positions of the mural you might have seen on Mortis. So that was a fucking deep dive. So I guess before we move on, well, we got one more in the back of the shop. Uh, In the back of the shop, we have two holocrons, which are looking a little bigger than we've seen them in in the animated universe. But hey, you can't you can't get two. I mean, it could also be like literal, just like representations of holocrons, like maybe they're not active holocrons, but they are like. The one on the left, the square one, is a Jedi holocron, and the one on the on the right would be like the oh the yeah Sith holocron. yeah. I mean, it was it was overly clear like what they were. Just are they 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 looked a little large. What else did I? Yeah, have? I'm not sure why I had that picture, but we love Luthen, so there he goes. This one, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie, I I did get this one from Reddit, but apparently in one of those little blocks of carbonite, that's Indy's bullwhip. And really? <laughs> it looks bull whippy to me, so I was like, fuck it, I'll, I'll include it in there so I don't have that one asshole so, on the internet tell me that I'm a jerk-off because it, I, I missed a frozen in carbon, carbonite bullwhip. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that was just... For a show from a guy that doesn't believe in any of this shit, Nick, where, where does this... How does this happen? Is this just the, the set designer... Uh, yeah is this like dave filoni sneaking on set and just you know dropping shit randomly i mean how does this happen so like of mentioned things like you know him talking about the rakatan empire and all of that like there's no way to get around that like tony put that in there like he he you know wrote yeah, that, that exactly that's written so, so for sure all of the stuff inside of Luthen's office, it would be hard for me to to believe that he actually was like picked out those pieces to put in there for specific reasons because you would need to be like you would need to have deep cut knowledge of yeah, what dude, these the, things are to actually the, understand the tablets what you're itself. In. I mean the the tablets yeah. are straight from the animated wing, which you know he's not fucking with. Yeah, he's not fucking with. So like a lot of that stuff inside of his office, I do think was probably like he he gave an instruction. He's like, okay, like Luthen is a a dealer in rare galactic, you know, memorabilia, and you know, like God, he's yeah. essentially like a like an antiques collector. So he just kind of left it to the art department and the set department to be like, hey, put together like give me a bunch of stuff that people sh- like like hardcore fans will recognize. Yeah. And I think and see, I don't I even so see it, him wanting to be that nice. Like I, I do. I think this is like <laughs> a clandestine operation within the, the production department. We're like, look, we, we got to dress a set. He, he said he doesn't give a shit or, or cares. So we know star Wars. We know what's going to get fans talking. Let's place this stuff, have him come yeah. through and hopefully he won't, you know, do the George X, no, no, no. Because I, I don't I don't see Tony getting tied down in set dressing. 
I, I mean, no, I, I don't think so, so either. Which is why I said when in the first initial three episodes, when we're like, is that the ghost? Like, could that be the ghost? I was like, I, even if it is the ghost, I don't think Tony knows what the yeah, ghost he, is. I it's, think it's that's not on else purpose. That it's there. not on purpose, at least Tony's purpose. Yeah, exactly. Um, Bat Bat is right. There is a, I didn't get the shot, but there is a shot of another collectible that looks very similar to Plo Clune's mask. Now, obviously, it's probably not his, but another one of his kind. Because uh, the last time we saw Plo in his mask, he he blew up. So uh, I don't know if you'd be able to salvage that intricate bit of metalwork that they wear over their face, uh, but it definitely looks just like a mask that his kind would wear. So Luthen had all sorts of good shit in his shop. Uh, we got a Saul Guerrero mention when what's his name tries to scare Nemec, like, "Hey man, yep, you know what? What do you think Saul would do if someone fell asleep on the watch? He'd shoot you in your freaking face." You. Oh, I Which, know, uh, I know why we were looking at Luthen and Mon. It's because of the circle, and like I said, the the only existing yeah, circle in Star Wars, it was a Nikto slicer gang. That's it, like fucking hi- hackers. So yeah, who knows? Uh, Likely not what they're talking about. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so. I was like whatever. Uh, the seating chart. We talked about this. Uh, the, the names mentioned here. Ars Danger. He's the one that you know. Some people think he's one of the people in Return of the Jedi that you can see in in the behind the scenes. But Ars Danger has never officially been in live action on camera. But you did hear Sly Moore and she talked about the office of the of the Vizier and how they hate her and try to undo any of her policies. So that was nice. The deeper cut though at the dinner, Nick, is when she I don't know if you heard that she mentions Gorman and like, hey, well well the people in Gorman like to or want to dine with the people that just cut off all their trade routes. Their people are gonna starve. And yeah. um, if you remember from Star Wars Rebels, it's the Gorman massacre that finally gets Mon Mothma to go public and declare essentially open war on okay. the Empire. So I thought that was a nice connection there. And if they so if they keep that, if they keep that timeline, then we're probably getting pretty close to to that moment where Mon drops the facade. And then uh, season two, f- you know. for sure. Season two, yeah. for sure. I think because um, that that happens late in Rebels. I don't know if that's Rebel season three or four, but you actually see the moment, the address that Mon gives, where she's essentially announcing the Rebel Alliance, and it, it's it's after the Gorman massacre. She's just you know enough is enough. Uh, so I, I like I said, I like that through line that you know we're we're just learning now that they're they're the Empire starting to fuck with Gorman. And its trade routes, and we yeah. know in a f- in a few years' time that it gets so bad that they essentially just kill everyone on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> we all know what happens when trade routes get shut down. Yeah. There's a whole se- <laughs> there's a whole three fucking, series of movies. It about always that. starts with trade routes. God <laughs> damn it, trade routes. It's, <laughs> it's Newt, always there. Newt Gunray lives. All right. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Speeder bike, big deal. I, I think I'm going to get, get rid of those. Cause there are tie fighters in this episode too, but like, really do it. Do we need to mention those? Yeah, I, I never it, know. I don't think it's necessarily an Easter okay. egg at this point. It's just like, it's the empire. <laughs> so Nick, when you saw their little diorama and they were talking about the, the, the temple, did that not look just like the fucking seeing stone on Tython? Yeah. So that's what I was it, say. is yeah, is all the is all the honey and its shepherds and in this ceremony is it somewhat tied to the force? You think? 
Like, was this a forced planet? It could be. It could be. Um, to my knowledge, Aldani was never brought up in like previous. No, it, it, it is um, new for this series, but I, I, I feel completely. like they're adding, they're adding lore into it, and it, it does feel like Aldani, like Tython, had a temple presence, and that temple was probably a Jedi temple. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it definitely makes sense, especially given the little diorama, it like looks, you said, they built out the shows. Like it. it looks exactly fucking like it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would not surprise me to find out that um, Aldani has some sort of, like, force yeah, history to it, or, so. or, like, how's the Jedi I Temple think so. at the point. So, that was neat. And, and for you toy photographers or toy collectors, you had to appreciate Nemec's diorama, right? When he's like, hold on, let me... Let me take, and I get that feeling where it's like, oh, shit. I just set all this up. It took me a lot of time and effort. Let me be the one to potentially break it. Because he's like, no, 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 let me, let me twist it open so you can see the inside. So I, I like that from a diorama building perspective. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, we got a Sev talk mention. That was the place where Patagaz was like, hey, good for you. You're really locking up a lot of motherfuckers on that planet. I like the I like that yeah. report and I need to give you more work like that. Uh, Sev Tok was featured in the Clone Wars and apparently the Thrawn Treason novel. So those yeah, were our connections there. And that completes our Easter egg references, Game of Thrones connections and new planets breakdown of Andor episode four. All right. I mean, that was way more. That's probably it was more the most I've Easter ever done in this one episode. Ever. Yeah. Like, I just don't think like I, I didn't think that we would get this many Easter eggs in the entire Agreed. series. And <laughs> we just got all of that dropped in one. Yeah, man. Fucking, I mean, last last Wednesday uh, or Tuesday, I'm like, I don't have to get up that early. It's just one episode. Uh, I think I got up at quarter to six. I watched it and then I'm like, oh, shit. No, no. More notes, more notes, more notes, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark means I need to research it, by the way. And then I'm done watching and I get there and I've got like my, my yellow notepad app is loaded. I'm going, holy shit, it's going to take me an hour just to research all of these. And then I got to grab the screens and sure (laughs) shit. I went right up to 11 o'clock breaking down this one episode because Tony's team went Easter egg crazy. You're, you're not wrong. This is... I think for a single episode of Star Wars TV, it had the most references and eggs out of any property so far. Would not have expected that. I mean, I, I figured, I mean, you know, it, something run by Dave Filoni would yeah, hold that. exactly. But man, like, this guy, like, Tony went all out. Maybe he was, maybe he was joking. Maybe he's a huge fan of the cartoon. Well, he, he hey, <laughs> you know, fan maybe. fiction at least, right? Because he brought up fan fiction, too. He's like, fan fiction, fan, so yeah. fan fiction canon, I believe is what he called him. Like, what, what does that even mean, bro? But, what does that hey, mean? you know what? Yeah, what does that mean? We made, <laughs> we made fun of him. We talk shit, but he's, he's showing us that he truly is the man so far. I mean, we're, we're four episodes in. We've got eight to go. And I think most Star Wars fans are pleasantly pleased with this type of Star Wars content. I know I am. Yeah. Uh, my kid could give two shits. Like she, she's completely checked out of, of Andor. Um, and I think, you know, as it's supposed to be in Tony's yeah, mind, right. you know, that's kind of the way that he wanted this to be. He's like, look, 
I want this to be a Star Wars show for adults, whereas like, you know, a lot of other shows, Mandalorian, Bo- Book of Boba Fett included, like they're going to have stuff in there that is a little bit more kid friendly and that that is a little bit more. I don't want to say aimed at a younger age, but you know, it's like kids can watch it too and enjoy it. Whereas like kid watches this show, like there's not a lot happening that a child is going to enjoy. So yeah, I know she, she, she's tuned out of most of this shit. I mean, she doesn't like the rings. She doesn't like, she shouldn't like house of dragon. We don't let her watch that clearly. That's a little, yeah, I can't can't watch that. that That's a little, (laughs) gets a little visual sometimes, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, she, she's tuned sure. out of this type of Star Wars, and that's okay. I, I think Tony is right. Us adults, we we need a Star Wars here or there, and so far, Andor is paying off. So real quick, we, we've dropped hints about where we see things going tomorrow, but do you want to give your uh, end-all, be-all speculation for Andor Episode 5 and the events it could take us on? Yeah, I mean, Episode 5... The way that I see it going is like this one, you know, while it was chock a block full of Easter eggs and references and stuff like that, it was kind of a setup episode. Um, you know, we're we're moving towards a a big mission that's going to go down on Altani. I think what's going to end up happening here is we. I'm kind of caught in between thinking that the mission's going to go down in this episode, something's going to go catastrophically wrong. And then you're going to use the sixth episode as kind of like a salvage mission to like, we need to, to save as much as we can and get out of here without being found out. Or this being like kind of another setup episode before the big mission launches on episode six. And then we have the, the full play out there. Um, I do think that we're going to get, um, I think we're going to get a scouting run at the very least of the Imperial yeah. facility on Aldhani um, and kind of have more time, like take a little bit of time in this episode to see Cassian getting his feet under him and getting comfortable with the mission. Because it seems like even, even after the briefing that he got, he's like, can't be done, can't be done, can't be done. Like he was very negative about like the prospects of this mission <laughs> succeeding. Um, so I think that we may actually have another episode where it's kind of, uh, at least the majority of the episode is leading up to the moment where the mission goes off. Um, yeah, yeah dude, I, I was thinking the same thing. It, it's where, where do we end episode five with the Aldhani mission? Because I do feel like that's, yeah, that's I, the big narrative of this three episode arc. So it's. Do they end it in five and use six as a transition episode? Kind of like how episode three was transition where, you know, it, it still had the payoff on all the tension build up in episode one and two of, of Cassian and his, his stupid mission to find a sister and then killing people and all this fun stuff. But episode three, if you really think about it, it was a, it was a transitional episode in that it took the events from one and two showed us how they played out, but then it also took Cassian off into a completely different adventure, which we're learning about in yeah. episodes four, five, and six. So I'm with you. I, I don't know. I, I I could see five kind of being a trial run or right up to doing the mission. Or like you said, I yeah. could see them getting into the mission and shit going haywire for it to be finished in episode six and then transition out into the next three episode block. So 
Uh, I'm with yeah. you on either I mean, one of those three episodes on, on, on Cassian's yeah. narrative. At least I'm, I'm with you on that. It, it's going to be some either training and trial shit or get into the mission and fail. And we got to figure out a way out of dodge in episode six or train yeah. all the way up, start the mission cliffhanger episode six, finish the mission. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we know that this three episode arc is essentially going to be the, the, the Aldani mission arc like for yeah. Cassian. So I don't expect them to finish this run in five in okay. episode five. Yeah. Cause like it's going to right. continue on in some form I, or fashion. I into like, like I, I think the whole scene of him in that freight car and, and flying through the sky when that astrological events happening, I, that's definitely six in my mind. Um, other, other yeah. threads being developed in five, I, I believe we'll check in with serial. And this is where we may get uh, Lieutenant Miro potentially wanting to question him about his reports, uh, this, that, and the other thing, the star path unit. So I think those two link up in episode five and we'll kind of be able to speculate next week on where they're going beyond that. And clearly we're going to check in with Luthen and Mon again, hopefully still on Coruscant. And like Devin's saying in the live stream chat here, maybe you get the, an outtake of the dinner scene. Uh, but hopefully you get yeah. more of the spy crafty shit from Luthen, uh, Clay, I believe that's her name or something like that. Cletus and, and Mon. Uh, I don't think they start up any other thread yet. So Miro, yeah. Miro, Cyril, I think they become a thread in some form or fashion. Mon, Luthen and the Coruscant spy shit happening. And then obviously... Andor on the Aldhani mission, so we get we get progress on those three fronts. Yeah, okay. I agree. I just hope I'm not taking a bunch of notes tomorrow. That's all I can say. Because last mm-hmm. Wednesday was a, was a hoot. Because it got up early, did all this, taught a class, worked out, packed up the truck, and drove seven and a half hours to the coast. Got there around eleven thirty at night, midnight, <laughs> and then had to get up Thursday Oof. to to work and teach into the afternoon and then finally my personal time kicked in but hoping for uh tony please take it easy on me tomorrow pal yeah gosh guy (laughs) for no yeah like we know you love star wars tony but keep so many references out of it keep the easter eggs to yourself he's a closeted (laughs) fanboy let's be real he is a closeted fanboy he really is I want everybody to know how much you, you of a just, nerd you can't I am be. that I like Star Wars. Unless he's just like, you know what, you guys, you dorks, you have fun when I'm out of the room. I, I just, I don't see how via the script and the set dressing that we get these men, this many eggs and references from someone who doesn't believe in that shit. Like it just, it doesn't make sense, but I'm not complaining. Yeah. Hey, good for him. So far, Lord Tony Gilroy is going to earn himself a knighthood, even though he's not British. We'll knight him. The Star Wars time show will. <laughs> we'll we'll yes. start Star Wars. We'll try not to chop off the you're, ear. You're right? welcome on the show. Like this. This is how you do it, right? Yeah. One, two, like that. I got it. Okay. All right. We got one more little story to discuss before the fan segment this week. And this uh, popped up yesterday. Uh, I don't know if there's much we can really speculate on outside of... Uh, you know, this is what's yeah, happening. But we got an update <laughs> yeah. from the Acolyte set, which apparently is being built at Shinfield Studios over in the UK. Uh, this comes to us via Bespin Bulletin. 
And you know what, Nick? It's it, it's very reminiscent of some of the early Andor set picks, especially the like the bird's yeah. eye or the drone views. So if you're on the live stream, we have the post pulled up now. You can check it out on StarWarsTime.net. Just look for the Acolytes outdoor set starts to take shape, and you can look at the image. But it's it's almost like they're for the acolyte they're they're building a clearly a, a an outdoor massive set that that is similar to what they did in Andor for the Ferrix set. So we 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 did learn that Ferrix, all that shit we saw in episodes one and two, that was all practical. They built that town uh, somewhere over in yeah. the UK, and it looks like they're recreating it for the acolyte. So Nick, now that we've seen Andor finished. And, and what practical visuals can give you and, and lived-in locations can give you versus the volume, are you, are you kind of appreciating the more traditional take the Acolyte seems to be taking? I do. I, I appreciate the practical sets. And here's what I'll say about the, the volume as well. Like, the volume was created at a time where, like, <clears throat> excuse me, where something like that was necessary to actually just to make productions happen. Like, I, I think that like people need to realize that like if it was easy to go out on location and film and do everything that you needed to do when there were still a ton of COVID restrictions and there was travel restrictions and that there was, there were all of these things that were preventing like productions from actually happening, you know, that's that's why the, the volume was used as heavily as it was, especially in the early days of the Mandalorian filming, especially like in some of the 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 Kenobi filming as well, because like it allowed you to do stuff that you would use that you would, you would not have to travel. To I mean, you, in, you would have to the producer yeah. would have to figure out how to get the cast and the crew to the location, get the location set up shoot the day scenes and then pack all the shit up and move on. So you're right. I mean, it is the volume was yeah. around pre-covid but it was it was a proof of concept filmmaking tool like look we can start to create out of this world sets in a computer yeah. we don't have to pay for our production to now go to you know wadi rim or 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 tunisia to shoot tatooine we can do yeah. it in the fucking parking lot back here so and it, yeah. it, it's it's the fruit of George's vision. So the volume has a place. It had a place. It's going to have a place. But it it does seem like even in Star Wars now they're they're starting to go back to, or at least incorporate the traditional practical on location shoot. Yeah. So I'm I appreciate it, and I think that. I mean, it's un, like to me, I don't I don't know if there's a question about like whether on set or like, you know, fully practical built out sets are better than the ones that are in the volume. Obviously, they are. If You know, the more real things are, the better that they're going to look translated on the screen. So, yeah, I am glad that they're moving back towards um, practical set build outs where they can. Um, I think that it, it, it does benefit the production as a whole, especially when you're working with multiple actors in scenes, um, especially in township settings like we saw on Ferrix. Like that would have been like something like that. <laughs> they would have just been, been walking in circles nonstop on the volume. Like, yeah. oh, let's like you can't enter and exit buildings. <laughs> so like you would have it it would have been very difficult to do that in in the volume if, you know, if 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 it was possible at all. 
so I think that situations like that call for it. And it seems like what they're building out here for the Acolyte is going to be something similar where it's like a small township that has multiple buildings that are going to be used and walked in and filmed through and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm, so I'm definitely happy to see that, that we're doing some practical. Seeing what we here. see here. Do you think this is the Acolyte's hometown or just a town that we will visit within the series? And without, with, I, so I can't like I didn't tell. read the leaks, and I don't want to get into them. But it, but essentially, our our titular character is going to be from a village, and more than likely, her village is going to have four sensitives. Jedi are probably going to come take one of the four sensitives, which may upset some of the villagers, including our lead. Yeah, I mean it's it's so hard to tell because there's probably going to be multiple like little places or like multiple opportunities within the show to use like a location set up like this. Uh, cause I imagine that, you know, yeah, you'll have the town where the, you know, the acolyte character is recruited from or taken from, but then there's probably also other little townships around there. Um, it, I guess it really like what it really comes down to is like, Depends on what they're filming first, right? Yeah. Like that's like they build your sets according to what's being filmed, like what scenes are being filmed first. And a lot of production companies and a lot of productions in general don't film things in chronological order. So like, I just know, like from that. What it I can see, it almost looks like there's. It doesn't look like Tatooine. Is all I can say. That's the good thing. No, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> like it does not, not look like Tatooine. The, the hovels and the drabs and tans and olives. It's, yeah, I mean. It looks like there's a little elevator or lift system if you look yeah, in the middle yeah. image. Um, off to like the back um, back left of the image, you can see that there's like a lift system. Um, I don't know if that gives any hints I'm, as to you like know, I'm, what I'm the I'm kind of hoping it is, is the Acolyte's hometown because to me it would be different than what we're used to when you go to someone's village. Like it doesn't look like a village. Yeah. It doesn't feel... Uh, tribal or whatnot. I mean, even if you look at Tales of the Jedi and you go to Ahsoka's village, it feels like a fucking village. You know, it doesn't feel yeah. industrial. We've never really seen a a force user come from an industrial type of location. So I, I guess that's why I'm kind of hoping this these shots, this set in Shinfield, is the the hometown of the acolyte because it would just it would just be a little bit different. Like, hey, look. The Jedi didn't just steal force babies from like uh, tribes. They actually, they, they, they could go to a Coruscant type of apartment and be like, Hey, by the way, your kid has the force and we feel they should come with us. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, it's a good point. We've only ever seen force sensitive. Yeah. They, they take them from of, like taken off of like backwater planets. planets. So yeah, Jedi, they're, they're a little shady yeah. too. <laughs> but also like, yeah, like like people can be force sensitive and live in like a suburb. Yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, like you know, force so, sensitive paper we'll boy. See. I mean, yeah, I mean that's how he makes it onto the patio every time, right. every throw, right there in front of the door. Just hovers over there and lands. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it could definitely be the 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 village where they find the the acolyte, the yeah. titular character, like you it's said in the article. Thing. Uh, but it, I am happy to see that they are doing more practical set build ads and stuff now. I don't, and I will say that I almost, I'm almost positive 
that it has nothing to do with people bitching about the oh, Kenobi. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, it, this like production design and setup is like planned and budgeted so far in advance that it's like they're not going to take people bitching three weeks ago. Well, and it, it, it's, like, it's kind of a, like, okay, we have to switch it all the practical It's kind of now. a thing at this point in Star Wars. If you want your series to be practically shot, you do it over in the UK because that's where Andor was mostly yeah. filmed. That's where the Acolyte shooting. But if you're cool with uh, volume and being in the, the John and Dave gang, then you're shooting in L.A. Plain and simple. I mean, yeah. Ahsoka's skeleton crew, they're going, they're going down at L.A., probably volume heavy, where... Acolyte and soon to be Andor S2, they're going to be over in the UK again, building stuff. So, you know, I guess it's good to have kind of that mix to, to remind everyone like, hey, the technology can be pretty fucking impressive, but also going old school, traditional sets, uh, that too can add to the, the creation of a Star Wars world or a program or a series. Yeah, All right. Well, there you go. The Acolyte. Um, which should start shooting any day now and will probably run through May, hopefully for a 2024 release. Uh, we still, still the only official casting for this series is Amandla, who played... Uh, yeah, all of the others are... Just rumored, but probably rumored, true. Yeah. And those are Jodie Turner-Smith, Lee Jong-Jae, Charlie Barnett, and Manny Jacinto. Yes. All right, dudes and dudesettes, it is that time of the Star Wars Time Show to dedicate a segment to our fans because we love you. And don't worry, all you have to say is, I know. Okay, we don't, we're not looking <laughs> for the love word to be exchanged. We know how to do it. We follow Han and the princess's lead. But we do. Every, every week, we dedicate a two segments, really. Well, a fan segment that has two branches to it the first one being the question of the week which we post to our instagram account at star wars time show in the stories and in our profile grid so you just gotta log in tuesday morning look for at star wars time show find that question and reply to it if you do reply you may make the show we'll talk about it we'll dissect it we'll agree with you or we may tell you that you're dumb the other segment is the top five, but more on that after our question of the week, which is a nice, easy one. What was your favorite or least favorite part from Andor episode four? All right, so I have not seen any of these Nicks, so lay them on me. I got the first one pulled up for you. Yes, first one is from our good friend Baron's Black Series. Uh, he says, Mon Mothma. Watching her do her thing, it was interesting to see her spat with her husband, knowing ultimately she will choose the rebellion over him. I also loved all of the Easter eggs that the prop department snuck That's into right. the show, especially the Star Killer Sith armor. We're still on it. It was the prop department. It was not That's right. Tony. There, Tony didn't there was do no any intentions of that. from the director. <laughs> this was all the the the, the crew. Tony's probably seeing all these articles popping up he's about pissed. these he's Easter quit. eggs, and he's like, "Oh he's my god, <laughs> these fucking people put yeah. all this stuff in my show." And I said, "No That's Easter right. eggs." Right now, he's at uh, or last Wednesday night, he had a staff meeting where he fired his brother, his other brother, 
his his brother's sister, her sister's brother. Yeah, his second yeah, cousin. All the Gilroys have been wiped <laughs> from the uh, the slate yeah. of Andor. But yeah, that would be funny if he's like, you, went behind you see like this that. article? You see this article? There's too many fucking sites talking about Easter eggs in Andor, goddammit. I'm not, I'm not that type of Star Wars director. How could you do this to me? Right. How could you fuck me over like this, Bob Gilroy? <laughs> Now I look like you're an all asshole. Fired. <laughs> you know, he's like, now you're making me look like I actually like Star Wars, you dicks. My secret. Uh, it was my Lord secret. Gilroy. We love but yeah. So, um, good stuff there from Spencer. Thank you as always for your response. Uh, next up from the outer room, he says, "I love the introduction to the ISB. The dialogue in those scenes were gripping and cutthroat." Everything internal empire focus sequences should be. Yeah, that's, um, that's the best way to say yeah, that. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, the closest we've gotten to a scene like that, Nick, would have been the, uh, the the little table meeting on the Death Star in A New Hope. And even there, things went off the, yeah. the agenda pretty quick when Darth Vader started trying to kill everybody. So, uh, yeah, it was great. You, you got to love seeing the empire kind of act in times where it's not uh, killing people, you know, I mean, a lot of Star yeah, Wars, yeah. we've just always seen the Empire as the cannon fodder of Palpatine. Here, we're actually seeing the inner workings, what they talk about, how they plan the destruction of trade routes and planets and how they decide who eats and who doesn't. Yeah, I mean, so seeds of discord and everything and, you know, like what they're doing to actually implement this imperial rule. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love seeing scenes like that. All it does is continue to like build out the world right. and build out the, you know, give more of a face to the empire yeah, I mean, other than like pa- you Palpatine said, you know, and city or Palpatine and Vader, they needed a lot of buy-in and a lot of this nonsense to take yeah. place to execute Sidious's vision. Yeah. So good stuff there. Next up two seven. Nine Seven Studios. We know who he is. He's probably in the chat right now. He's he batting him around. Um, and then uh, he says, lots of cool stuff in this episode. Officially meeting Mon and her life. Her nice space limo. Seeing Coruscant on a more intimate level. The shop and all its goodies. The list goes on. Lord Gilroy may not want to acknowledge canon, but his prop department sure does. I love how that's that's the narrative now. It's it's the prop department. It's he, not hey, <laughs> it's by his own design, Nick. He's the one that, that got know, on his, his uh, pulpit there and banged on it like, I don't like Star Wars. I don't like Star Wars shows. I don't like making Star Wars for Star Wars fans. So it is a shock to get an episode like we did where he's going... 25,000 years into the legend and recanonizing stuff. So he is truly a lord. And I'm just glad that our fans are taking that moniker and running with it. So that's the second one that used it. I think Lima has also ran with our designation of Lord, lord Tony. Lord Gilroy. Yes. So good stuff. Uh, pictures by R2D2 is next. He says, liking that we got to see Mothma operate and the tension that the empire puts on everyone through the way they operate. Um, yeah, I mean, that was one thing that we were unsure of even going into this season and going into the series was like, what, at what level can Mon Mothma like openly operate within the rebellion? Um, we already knew that there was probably going to be a little bit of 
like suspicion around her considering that she was a part of the initial group of senators who opposed the expansion of powers by by Palpatine at the end of episode three. So we knew that she wasn't going to be like one of the Empire's favorite senators. Um, but to see the level at which they have put, um, like the level at which they have put eyes on her within the imperial superstructure is is actually yeah very i mean replacing the entire staff of of multiple banks to to you know she she brought that up she's like i go into the the, the bank and there's different faces every time i'm in there she's like I, I you can't trust anyone i mean honestly nick i i'd imagine what mothma's going through is probably what it feels like to be in the opposition if you live in russia or china where you know yeah, the yeah. essentially I know Russia they they pretend they're no longer communists and they're a democracy but they're not. I mean literally you're with Putin or you're not, you'll die. And that's Yeah, like he will literally like yeah. poison you, throw you out of a building. Like she, she's like, like that you'll, you'll be she's disappeared. She's like that Navalny guy who's like the main opposition leader over there who as Nick said has had multiple attempts on his life. He's locked up now, will probably die in prison. Uh, so yeah, I, I imagine Mothma is that. That's what it's like for those people. Always fearful of being yeah. watched, followed. You could be killed at any moment for what you think or say. So yeah, it's. I I also and I told you all this. I, I told you all the Mothma stuff could be the most intriguing, right? You just gotta listen to me. Last yeah, yeah. last one here. Absolutely. Last one here, Waltman, 1987, says TIE Fighter's appearance and sound effect establishing just how overmatched they are. I think that that was a very important, like, moment in the show. It was very, it was a very small moment, you know, when Vel and, and Cassian are making their way to the encampment after he gets dropped off on Altani, and then you just hear it, like, you hear it in the distance first, and he, and Cassian hears it first. He's like, what's that? Oh, yeah. And then they take cover. Just to show you, I think Waltman puts it well, like how overmatched they are. Like, what do they, they have nothing. <laughs> they don't they, have they, any, they have one any imperial, ships. like they have one imperial spy. They, Vel couldn't even use a speeder to get from the landing right. point where fucking Luthen drops off Cassian back to the fucking, the, the encampment. They had to walk the whole way. And I know like, this, this has so bummed some people that, out since yeah. the trailers, but they literally have AK-47s. I mean, they, they didn't even know, bother, yeah, like, the prop department didn't even bother slapping on some, you know, whatever, gri grimlings, or I forget the, the term, but just like random shit to make it look slightly different. Because, I mean, Tamarin or whatever, I mean, he, he's, that's a fucking AK. I mean, he's just holding an yeah. AK. And dude, you know what I was thinking too? Because I, I, I had seen the whole, you know, the, the hubbub. I've seen like people being like, oh, they're look, using they real weapons. Every weapon in uh, Star Wars is based honestly, on a World War II weapon, by the way. Yeah. But honestly, though, like if you think about like the progression of like of society, if we ever get to the point to where like we can make laser guns, the first gun that will be turned into a laser gun is probably going to be an AK-47 <laughs> because it's one of the it most is. reliable weapons that's around yeah. in our society today. It's why like it's why every rebel group in the real world, I'm not talking about in Star Wars, is why every rebel group in the real world uses AK-47s because you can drop them in the middle of a fucking lake, go pick it up from the bottom of the lake and the thing still fires yeah. like there's nothing wrong with it. You can bury it in the sand, pull it out and it'll still shoot. So like the first time that like 
laser weapons are, are actually built in the real world, the AK-47 <laughs> is going to be one that's turned into one oh, very I love quickly. It. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I just, I remember that when the trailer came out, that 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 group of the faction, like, oh, this shit, they got an AK. Like, well, I mean, pretty much every gun in Star Wars is is a World War II weapon that it's had, like, another part gun. of a World War II weapon jammed on top of it, so... It's okay, right? Remember, it's science fiction. That's the key word, fiction. Use your, fiction. Use your mind. Use your imagination, okay? Just because it looks like a real-world gun, it, it probably still shoots lasers. So there you go. It's Star Wars. All right. Yeah. So a good one there from Waltman1987. Thanks to pictures by R2D2, 2797 Studios, From the Outer Rim, and Baron's Black Series. So that is question of the week. And now we are transitioning to our final bit in the fan segment. And that is the top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week covering 926 to 103. Nick, break it down for them. How, how do they get involved in this part of the fan segment? Yes. If you would like to be involved, make sure you follow us on our Instagram account at Star Wars Time Show. And when you post your Star Wars pictures or art, make sure to tag us in your pictures. Hit the tag button, type in Star Wars Time Show, add tag. You can also throw in there in your caption, Toss in an at Star Wars Time Show. Also drop in the hashtag Star Wars Time Show. Those are the three ways to make sure that our eyes hit your images. And then from there, Matt will oversee the plethora, the 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 mountainous amount of images that we That's get right. tagged. He's going to pick out his favorites Crap. per day. And then after that, I will look at all of the images that Matt had selected. And then I will anoint the top five what he calls uh, the eeny meeny miny mo ceremony yes <laughs> i just kind of close my eyes eeny, meeny, and miny, i just mo. point at the screen <laughs> and then whatever my that's, finger that's lands the winner. on all right the so who five. is that one is of it. your selections for this week who are we starting with here the first one is at paul brown 12 and he's got an awesome shot of the dark troopers from the mandalorian season two um, I've seen actually, so, so it must be like, this must be like a new figure that's been hitting shelves or like hitting people's inventories recently. Cause yeah, I've seen you're right. a lot of the dark troopers it's, it's on, coming on out the, uh, the old I photo actually, screens. This guy showed up right before I left last week. So I didn't get to unbox them, but there is the, the hot toys, dark trooper. Uh, and this go. one was a winner. Yeah. Cause my wife who doesn't pay attention to any of this shit. And just rolls her eyes when they show up, like, oh, there there goes another payment on a beach house we could have made. She goes, you know what? That's <laughs> one of the coolest looking figures I've ever seen you bring into the house. So I need to get him unboxed. But no, you are correct, Nick. Both the Black Series version of the Dark Trooper from the Mando and the Hot Toys have been shipping out. So that is why there has been an influx of these type of shots. Yeah, so... Um, very cool. I love the aesthetic, oh, but, but like into this Paul Brown shot, I mean, he did a great job adding practical effects. It seems like with the, like the little, yeah, that, that almost seems like a, a Sir Dork 730 sparkler out the feet trick, but I, I, I do not know. Yeah, I don't know if I, that's practical or if Paul added that in after. Yeah. When I, when I first saw it and I saw those, those little, like little sparkler balls, I was like, oh, is this Sir Dork? And I looked down and I was like, oh, it's not. It's Paul Brown. It does have that feel of a Sir Dork shot, though. 
the background. I love the the debris mm-hmm. kick up and the smoke and everything like that. Um, and also the glow on the eyes and the chest piece. Um, so just all around very well executed shot by at Paul Brown 12. Yes, sir. Moving on. Yes, sir. Next up, we have at King Betty Piggy. Ioni underscore SW. Uh, by the way, anyone else, um, like if you type pig for an, uh, an Instagram post, do you get the warning that you shouldn't use that? Because I, Nick, oh, really? anytime I, I post a shot of the of the Star Wars piggies, like I wanted to put, I wanted to put co- King Piggy from at Betty Oni SW, but Instagram essentially said, "Hey, this looks like a, a suspicious caption that's been used before. Do you want to edit?" And I'm like, "Well, that basically means you're gonna blackball us if we use it, so I guess I won't use it." But it's like you can't use pig in an Instagram caption. At least we can't. So carry on. I I had not seen that before, but also I don't post much on Instagram. Well, next time you get on um, so it, just type I it? like pigs and see what happens. <laughs> see see if Instagram see, yells at see you. See what happens. Yeah. Probably so. Um, but what we have here from Betty, Betty Ioni is an awesome shot of not the Mando, not Jabba, not anybody else, but a Gamorrean guard on Jabba's old throne. Um, I just, one, again, like this may be something that's also kind of hitting people's shelves as well, but like the use of the throne, I love the design of the throne. I know, I remember like when it was first announced and stuff, we posted pictures of it. And then I also love how expertly positioned Betty got this Gamorrean guard yeah, on this throne. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I it mean, just, the, the, the throne, which would have technically been Bib's throne. Yeah, at this point, Bib it, Fortuna's throne. It, it just, throne, yeah. it, it's like it was built for a Gamorrean guard. It really is. It, it, uh, I mean, the, yeah. the, the King Gammy here, he just looks perfectly seated. On this throne, I like how the axe has its edge warmed up so he's ready to slice and dice through whoever comes and messes with him. But I'm with you, man. It just it looks like the throne was built for this Gamorrean guard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like he is, if nothing else, he is the king of the Gamorrean guard. So uh, like you put King Gammy. So at Betty Ioni underscore SW with a killer shot of King Gammy on his throne. Um, next up here, we have an awesome setup from at SW collector 3.75. So 3.75 inch scale for those of you who are within the toy community. And I mean, this is a very complex setup from uh, SW collector 375. So what we see is Pal- Palpatine arriving on what I assume is either the Death Star or the Executor, um, Darth Vader's flagship vessel. Um, you see the landing vessel already kind of on the, on the ship wings up in its landing formation. You have the banners of the empire draped down from it. And then like a whole company of stormtroopers lined up in formation, uh, you know, ready to, to greet the emperor and, Vader there on a knee. It's very know, flanked by Imperial It's very guards. similar. I mean, it's just insane to the Emperor's so. arrival in Return of the Jedi. Uh, it's it's very yes, very similar yes. to that. I don't know if it's a full on recreation. I'm kind of with Nick where it, it could be anywhere that the Emperor's showing up to check on his little bitch boy. 
and you know bitch boy gets yeah. right down on his knees ready to blow him and like oh emperor make me angry so i can get powerful but uh yeah i think these are all uh three seven five inch figures so that's impressive if you think about the the all the lining up that sw collector 3.75 went through here and honestly nick one of those two yeah. advisors with the emperor i i think that's technically ours danger one of them the guy we talked about from yeah. Andor, who is going to the, the, the yeah, going to setting. the Mothma meal that she's very pissed about. Um, but yeah, anytime a human can line up this many plastic figures and not want to stab their eyes out or melt all the plastic figures with a blowtorch because they always fall over and start dominoes, <laughs> uh, they deserve recognition. So I'm glad you you picked this one. It's a, it's an impressive setup of the small scale. Uh, look at all those fucking troopers. Like if those are individual placements, get out of here. That had to take forever. Yeah. Hopefully he's using sticky I mean, that, tack wild. or something to keep those dickheads standing. Like a big ass line of yeah, tape. Exactly. <laughs> or something like that. Because these are, as we've discussed, <laughs> action figures aren't the greatest subject sometimes. They don't like to listen. Okay. Uh, they don't like the pose. They're very moody. They're very sensitive. Yeah. Absolutely. So good stuff there at SW Collector 3.75 on the IG. Next up, this is a fun shot. This is from <laughs> at Dad Fat, and it is the humanization of the B1 battle droids. Um, you know, and, we, and he's we've got always a series seen of B1s. these, I feel like, Nick, because he, he came out with another one today. But I think we we featured one last week, not top five, but on on our account. Of these two droids, you're right. It is. It's like the the, the humanization of two B ones. Yeah, I mean, we've always only looked at B ones as you know, like the 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 base Roger, level Roger. droids that the CIS threw out. Roger, Roger. If you go into the the Clone Wars timelines and stuff like that, they have some funny lines and shit too. Um, but now you get to look at like. If these are sentient beings, like, do they have feelings? What do they feel like? They just watched. You know, a million of their droid friends get mowed down on a battlefield. And, you know, we get to see the repercussions of that. We get to see the mental anguish that B1 droids are seeing. So what the what the image itself portrays is two B1s kind of sitting down on a sofa, one of them embracing the other. The the other one is just so downtrodden, so mentally uh, uh, destroyed from probably what he had seen on the battlefield. And, and this is him trying to take a moment to process all that he's been through in this devastating war between the CIS and the Galactic Republic. So, um, I just thought it was a fantastic, and, 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 uh, fantastic. Yeah, anyone that, that is a fan of B ones, you need to follow at dad fat. Cause like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go just pull up this page. Cause I, I know this is like a re recurring theme with these two B ones here. Yeah, here you go. You got a B one. He's just uh, reading, reading a book, having himself a drink. Uh, he's reading in, into the into yeah. the wild. It looks like <laughs> into the wild. <laughs> uh, yeah, here here's the follow up to the shot Nick's just talking about. It looks like the, this B one lost his date or something. He's all he's all bummed out yeah, and sad. Sitting there, by <laughs> got a little remote control next to him, like a TV. Oh, here, here they are. Yeah, this is oh the one. They're gosh. they're like out in the woods telling scary stories with a light. So, like I said, if if you like B ones, yeah. if you're a fan of Roger from the you know the Lego series, uh, check them out at Dad Fett on Instagram. You will not be disappointed. One hundred percent. Good stuff there. 
And then the final one to close out the top five for this week is at Chez Pick 66. Uh, Chez is, is a longtime favorite of the Star Wars time shows, made multiple top fives. And it's because he's either, he's got like a huge open area around his house where he can go up and just like make perfect Tatooine oh, yeah. setups, it seems. Uh, you know, so what we see here is Mr. Mando, Mr. Jaren, Dejaren himself landing with the Razor Crest. So this was clearly in uh, either season one or early season two timeline. Um, he's landing on Tatooine, talking to some Jawas. You see a moisture evaporator uh, right next to them. You see the the setting sun of Tatooine in the background, but you can also see a bit of a of a shadow of the second son of Tatooine as well. Um, lots of dust being kicked up probably from, uh, 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 an oncoming sandstorm or maybe just from when, when Mando landed, but it's always great to see Chez out outdoors in the sand, taking pictures. And this is no exception. Yeah, it's, just, it's just the atmosphere. I mean, it, it almost feels like a still from a film strip. You know, maybe Dave took a shot one day when he was on set to just see how things looked in camera. Uh, but uh, as Nick said, this location that Chez goes to, it really is Tatooine in the United States. I, I, I think it's a beach area up in the northeast. So it's not like it's not super warm and whatnot, but it, it seems either during sunrise or sunset, if you roll out there and, and throw down some Star Wars figures and you actually have a, an eye for this thing, you can snag some great shots, all right? And Chez definitely has the eye. Yeah. I'm not saying that anyone that had access to this beach could produce art because that's what Chez Picks is producing. Uh, but it is, it's, it, he seems to be in one of the greatest outdoor areas to do Star Wars toy photography, in, maybe in the entire planet. Yeah, absolutely. So um, amazing stuff as always. From at Chespick six six, and that ends the top five, and that's the end of the show. So Matt, close us out gladly, my friends, on this new Andor Eve. Hopefully, you had fun with us on Star <laughs> Wars Time Show episode two three three. We're getting up there. We're getting old, but we have not stopped because there is always time for Star Wars time. That's our mantra. That's our saying, and we live by it. So if you liked what you heard today, if you're new here, hey, drop us a line, send us an email, give us some feedback. We always like to hear that type of stuff. But more importantly, go ahead and get yourself linked into the show by heading over to StarWarsTime.net. That is our website. That's where you can see some of the stuff we're going to talk about during the weekly show, which we do every Tuesday live on YouTube, youtube.com slash Show. Uh, if you need to get subbed up to the Star Wars Time Show, again, StarWarsTime.net. There's a YouTube icon you could click on. If you scroll down, there's a YouTube logo with our two lovely faces on it. If you click sub, it'll instantly sub you up because we don't ever want you to feel like you have to put forth any sort of effort to be a fan of the Star Wars Time Show. So don't forget, StarWarsTime.net, all the links. You can get the podcast there. Podcast drops Wednesdays on most platforms. But if we are in season with a Star Wars show and you can't wait, don't forget the show, the live stream that is, will be saved and recorded for you to view on our YouTube channel. Okay, my friends. Here we go. Team Aldhani. What is Cassian going to get himself into next? How many of Vell's compatriots will be lost? 
Will they still be friends by the end of it? Tune in to the Star Wars Time Show this time next week or via our YouTube channel to find out what we think of Andor S1 E5. But for now, just take this with you and hold it close to your heart. And that is the simple fact that if you listen to this show, the Force will be with you. Always. Oh,